Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to this week's Fails Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman and joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Matt Lamborn. Hello. And for the very first time on the podcast, Paul Field. Good evening, guys. Pleasure to be here. Welcome aboard, Paul. No, thank you. Hi, Paul. I was saying to you, you guys have spent many, many hours in my Hyundai, so it's uh, slightly (laughs) weird being here uh, talking to you. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Thank you. So not that was very uh, polite. Ah. Not why we invited you on here, Paul. <laughs> I know what you're like. So, so Paul, to paraphrase the great Silla Black on Blind Date, not quite what's your name and where have you come from, but tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, why you like the website and the podcast, and what kind of films you like in that. God, and your you favourite band you... as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> quite like Depeche Mode, Matt. You, uh, you, this will come as a surprise to oh, you. Yes, you don't say. <laughs> Um, it's remarkable, yeah, I, me too. My kind of history of cinema goes back to um, through multiple generations. My grandfather um, owned a cinema, uh, and then my father as well. And they were, and then he was a projectionist for for, for many many years. So um, it's kind of uh, in the blood, if you like. And um, yeah, my, my, he's no longer with us now. But I think that just just doing this, my father would be incredibly proud, and, and I, I miss him very much. Cinematic oh, royalty, well, that's good stuff. Yeah. No, thank you guys. Um, the site, you know, I, I can't remember how I found you guys. I have no idea. Probably through Letterbox or something like that. I saw a list. Yeah. And, yeah, and then realised you did a podcast. And I used to have a really long commute. And um, I just used to fill my journey sort of t- t- sort of 10 hours driving a week with, with podcasts. And uh, you guys found your way onto there. And uh, yeah, you've been there ever since. Yeah, once you've hit that RSS feed, there's no going back. That's it. So yeah, no, that, that's, just how we, that's just how we have the settings, isn't it, Owen? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's no escaping it. Excellent. Uh, so we'll kick off with the quiz then, where uh, Callum dragged it back to 2-1. It, um, still 2-1 to Owen, but got a point on the board for the guests. Uh, mm. Remember, if Owen wins, he will most probably make me watch a rubbish film, although he could choose a good one <laughs> for me. And the same will happen if I win, and it's first to three. Um, so I am going to run through someone's filmography, and they're going to try and guess who it is. Um, first up, we're going to go for 1989 and Dead Poet Society. Owen, Robin Williams. It is not Robin Williams. No, of course not. Uh, in 1992, they were in a film called A Midnight Clear. No. Never even heard of that. Not heard of it. Yeah, carry on. In 1997, they were in a film called Gattaca. <sighs> Matt. Yes, Matt. 
Uma Thurman? It is not Uma Thurman. You're really good at this, Paul. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeless now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't, need, I don't know. In 2001, they were in training day. Matt. Uh, yes, Matt. Ethan Hawke. It's Ethan Hawke. Get in there. <laughs> Makes the score 2 all, uh, and next week will be a a one-quiz shootout between the Owen and the guests for the victor of uh, this edition of the quiz. Uh, Owen is starting to dread it now because he knows I've got something incredibly bad lined up for him to watch. I, I'm sweating. I've got the sweats. Yes, I, I'm going to sweat too much, Owen, because I'm pretty sure I'm on again next week. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> Matt, you're not welcome next time. <laughs> Rigged. I want to take a shit movie. <laughs> there's shit and there's shit, Matt. Um, anyway uh, on to well in lieu of the news this week we have got um, a kind of Oscars preview uh, as that ceremony is coming up very shortly we're going to run through the Oscars and uh, have a go at picking what we think will win not what we want to win what we think will win Uh, what we want to win and what we think will win are usually two completely different things aren't they Owen yeah, but, I mean, Paul's here partly because he got... How many was it you got right last last year, uh, Paul? All, all bar one. And even all the one, one, I picked it to be contrary to try and mix it up a bit, so I would have been more <laughs> otherwise. Exactly. And I got, was it all of them, all nine that we had to guess the year before, right? So, you know, we've got form here. We know what we're doing. Well, before before we predict the Oscars, at the time of recording, we don't know who, who killed Lucy Bills. Does anyone want to hazard a guess and... Uh... Add that into our betting equation. Is this is this EastEnders? Yeah, it's Stenders. Who is EastEnders on our podcast, Steve? Don't know. We're just we're just great. you know putting wages on things and and predicting things. <laughs> what we predict who killed Lucy Bill? I'm I reckon go Nick for... Cotton. Go on. Sorry, Matt. Nick Cotton. I'm, I think it's Wellard. <laughs> I was going to go for Wellard. Uh, <laughs> there we go. That's it. I, I don't know who's in it. Dirty Den is he in it? Doc Cotton, is that... If it's Dirty Den, that would be the best storyline ever. Yeah. I think it was Arthur, because he stole the Christmas Club money. This is... You're showing your age, I think, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, a little story, which hopefully I won't get arrested for, but the last time they did a Who Killed thing... That's always a good way to start an anecdote, by the way. Yeah. um, I, I knew already who'd done it. And placed several wages at several different bookmakers... And, and cleaned up quite nicely, over a thousand quid. Jesus! <laughs> oh, goodness. Do you know what? I didn't even watch the episode because I didn't. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who any of the people were. It was somebody who killed somebody, Mitchell, and it was some girl who killed him. Uh, is this why they're kind of trying to do it yes. live? Yes. <laughs> so people don't do what you did. Exactly. Yeah. But surely people still know because they filmed the rest in advance. They're all going fi- to already filmed next week's episodes. I, I don't know. I know this time I've the colleagues in the office were asking me cause the, 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 if I could, you know, get the information, and I just couldn't do it. He, he didn't know. And if you looked at the odds, it was all pretty, pretty even. Mm. Anyway, that's that's <laughs> extenders. Um, that's never. We promised we don't rig the Oscars. By the way, we, no. there's a disclaimer. We haven't rigged the Oscars in favour of failed critics. No, not not yet. No, not yet. Still time. We're not that powerful. Um, so yes. Um, Starting off then with Best Picture, um, which is uh, American Sniper, Birdman, Boyhood, 
Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Stelmo, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Who do we think is going to take home that golden statue, uh, Paul? I'm. Everyone's been saying boyhood the whole time. I'm. I'm. I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm. I'm going Birdman. Interesting. I would, I would absolutely love it if it was Birdman, but I do think it's Boyhood. I can't see past it. I mean, every, it's won the Golden Globe and the BAFTAs and about 40 other awards in total. It's just ridiculously clean-sweeping everything. There's a sea change in the air, my friend. There's a sea change <laughs> in the air. And, Matt, what do you predict for, for that one? Oh, I would love it if it had been... Uh, American sniper just to shut up the arses of the Oscar fascists but um, <laughs> I'm going for the theory of everything because the, the love train for that film is just massively overhyped in general um, whilst I appreciate it's a nice story it's kind of what, something that we're all overly familiar with um, but I think that's the sort of thing where the Oscars are going to snap up hot line and sinker so I'm going to shoot for that one I've also gone for the theory of everything um I'd have probably liked, uh, out of those that I've seen, um, Whiplash or Selma to win it, but I don't think they're going to. Um, I've not seen mm. Birdman yet. Um, the rest I have seen now. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. Birdman and Both of you have gone for a 100 to 1 shot. <laughs> yeah, we didn't prepare that much. <laughs> To get the actual odds. <laughs> Shall I not mention the odds going forward? <laughs> <laughs> never, never tell yeah, me the you odds. Can't, you can't retract your um, choices now, lads. That's it. It's Oi, it. get your mobile out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way um, he's going to get into the Oscars, isn't it? Well, Ray Winston. Yeah, have a bang on that. <laughs> get right um, on it. Uh, two best director, um, either Wes Anderson for the Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu for Birdman, Richard Linklater for Boyhood, Bennett Miller for Boxcatcher, or Morton uh, Tilden for The Imitation Game. I went with this one for uh, Rich, Richard Linklater for Boyhood. I just think that regardless of whether it gets best film or not, it's probably the best technical achievement as a film being filmed over that long a period and for that reason he should get best director it's amazing like consistency that he managed to get with it to get everything to stay looking the same through the 12 years and it's a you know like you said pretty amazing achievement to pull off a project like that uh i think he'll win it as well i honestly think he'll win it i would love again for inuritu to win for birdman because that and in fact, Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest Hotel. I'd be happy with either of those two, but I think it would be. I still think it'll be Linklater, best picture and best director in the bag. If you ask me. And uh, Paul, what do you think for this one? I I'm marrying it up with Birdman. Inaritu's going to win it, and he's going to win it easily. Wow. Confident. You reckon? Yeah, confident. Easily. Yep. Done deal. Wow. And Matt. Yeah. Um. Just purely is a method of trying to differentiate from the rest of you guys, because I would have thought Linklater would be the, the obvious candidate here. I've gone for Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest Hotel. Just so I can try and outscore you if there's some bizarre <laughs> events. That, that's purely a shot in the dark there. It's, I don't think it's that much of a shot in the dark, really. I think Linklater's... I, I, regardless of what Paul just said, <laughs> I think Linklater's nailed on for, for Best Director. 
But I would probably put Wes Anderson second. Do you want a fiver on it, Owen? I think it's quite a close <laughs> category, though, in general. It's, it's a very yeah. strong one, and there's there's a couple, or maybe even three, very strong candidates there. Yeah. So, um, which way it's mm. going to go? Who's got the live odds? I don't know. <laughs> uh, best actor, uh, Steve Carell, up for Foxcatcher. Uh, Bradley Cooper for American Sniper. Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game. Michael Keith for Birdman. And Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. Um Matt, who do you think is going to take away that award? Well, I've gone for Eddie Redmayne. Again, I think he looks oddly better as Stephen Hawking than he does as Eddie Redmayne. So for that alone, <laughs> he deserves an Oscar for that. Never mind, again, the, the hype train that's behind the movie and, and the love for, for Redmayne that, that exists at the minute, but that would be a pretty cool reason to get an Oscar, I think. Because he looks better as someone else. Yes. Oh, poor Redmayne. On that basis, are you going to give somebody like Alistair McGowan an Oscar? (laughs) (laughs) No, just Redmayne. Just Redmayne. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Owen, who are you tipping to win this category? Uh, Yeah, Eddie Redmayne, I think. I don't know what the odds are, Paul. Um, But I think Eddie Redmayne, again, just because he's won at the BAFTAs and Golden Globes, it's probably... Probably a certainty. Probably. A certainty. Probably. Yeah, and... Paul? It's, it's, it's a two-horse race. I mean, there's, there's, the rest of them are way out of it. It's Keaton or Redmayne, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Redmayne as well. I think it's locked in. I've gone with Keaton just to be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to be different. I think I did this a few times last year. Everyone else went for the same thing, so I just said, no, I'm going to be different just to make the the voting, you know, the um, polling a bit more interesting, so just to be contrary over than yeah. that. Uh, best Actress, Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night, Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything, Julianne Moore for Still Alice, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon for Wild. Um, for this one, I went with Reese Witherspoon for Wild, Um I've not seen the film yet, so you might think it's a stupid choice, but I've not seen many of those films, actually. Mm. Um, I've not seen uh, Two Days, One Night, uh, or Still Alice, or Wild. So, based on that, I think Reese Witherspoon's been getting a lot of credit for Wild, and off the back of that, I went for that one. Didn't think Felicity Jones was all that amazing, although she wasn't terrible in the theory of everything. Um, Rosamund Pike was just mental in Gone Girl. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's interesting though because I don't think Eddie Redmayne was all that in the theory of everything either, but he's the one everyone seems to love, you know. Yeah. Uh, so who do you think will pick up uh, best actress, Owen? I think, even though I haven't seen Still Alice and we won't be able to see it until the Oscars have actually finished because it's not out in cinemas here uh, until March, uh, Julianne Moore I think will win. Um, Again, just because of the sort of buzz and the hype around her performance, and it just seems like an Oscar-y type of role, to be honest. Playing someone with Alzheimer's and the effect it has on a family, etc., etc. Um, yeah. Paul, who do you think will take this one home? I, I think this one again is locked in. Julianne Moore, you know, a, a no-brainer. Um, I, I do want to touch on Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. I feel, in fact, I've seen all of these, apart from, funnily enough, Still Alice, but Two Days, One Night, just bizarre. 
a film based around this concept where your co-workers can either can vote on you getting the sack, and in that, and if that happens, they get a bonus. Funny enough, <laughs> they vote, she gets the sack. And then she goes on this crazy trail of going to see all the people who voted for her to get the sack to try and convince them otherwise. It was kind of like the story from a carry-on film. <laughs> but it was this French kitchen sink drama. It was utterly, utterly bizarre. But Julianne Moore definitely deserves it, not just for Still Alice, but I'll come on to later in the recommendations for another film she's done this or last year. Mm. And Matt? Um, I have to be brutally honest that I've only actually managed to see one of the films that are related to the Best Actress nomination, so I have to go with that one on its own merit. And it's easier because I actually really enjoyed the movie and the performance, so by default I've gone for Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, who was absolutely, fantastically uncomfortable, unnerving performance by her crazy, crazy-ass bitch. Okay. Um, next category we've got listed down is uh, Best Supporting Actor. Up for that is uh, Robert Duvall for The Judge, Ethan Hawke for Boyhood, Edward Norton for Birdman, Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher, and J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. I couldn't see that going to anyone else other than J.K. Simmons. No, it is, I mean, again, we've talked about a couple of these as being now done. That one is, I, I sincerely hope so. Um, you know, it's a strong category, though, actually. Uh, Ed Norton and Mark Ruffalo were both very good. But J.K. Simmons is on just a different level to them in Whiplash. It's a done deal. Yeah, absolutely. Are you going to disagree with them there, Matt? Um, yes, purely because <laughs> I'm a fan of Mark Ruffalo in general. And I think he is overdue a bit more love in the mainstream uh, awards circles. So I'm going to take a punt on him again, just to be a little bit different, and because I'm a big fan. Okay. I mean, he was the best thing in Foxcatcher. Let's be honest, Mark Ruffalo. He outperformed both um, Tatum and uh, Carell, but he's not being talked about as much because it's not as surprising mm. to see Mark Ruffalo. Well, there's usually that. a bunch of dead certs in the Oscars in general in the, in the major categories, and there's always going to be one or two dark horses that slip through unexpectedly, and maybe, mm. just maybe, this could be as one. Well, you can have 100 to 1 if you fancy a little flutter. <laughs> I'll put 50p on it each way. You've, you've got a problem, Paul. I'm serious. You need to see someone. <laughs> hey, are you an affiliate for a bookmaker or something? <laughs> I, I, just, I was looking at the odds earlier and I printed them out. Uh, okay. uh, a new level of preparation on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to kind of get, you know, just to see some of the ridiculous odds that some of these films are at. Hmm. Uh, we're then on to Best Supporting Actress, uh, Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, Laura Dern for Wild, Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, Emma Stone for Birdman, um, Meryl Streep for Into the Woods. Uh, uh, I can lead off on this one if you like. Again, yeah. Patricia Arquette for, for Boyhood seems completely and utterly nailed on. Yeah, I uh, agree. Uh, we're, we're in agreement about both those last two categories. So I think Patricia Arquette is um, going to get it. I think she's going to get the award. They're both 1 to 10 on. Matt, are you going to be difficult again? Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go against the trend of 1 to 10 on dead cert bets. 
I take a, a stab at, at Meryl Streep, no pun intended. Um, purely because the Oscars love happy, happy, joy, joy, singy type, epic acting performances. So given the outstanding career that Meryl Streep has had, uh, we can find a little bit of love for her here just as an outside shot. Uh, it's not even her best performance as a Wicked Witch. <laughs> well, you're the expert. Uh, Joe, I, I'm yeah. having a quid on this, so I'm going to do a Ruffalo Street double, one pound, which will return you like ten grand. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm all about getting rich easily. Uh, number seven in our list, uh, best original screenplay: Birdman, uh, Boyhood, Foxcatcher, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Nightcrawler. Uh, I went with uh, Birdman for this one. Uh, yeah, I'll go for the same because, but that's more in hope than any real kind of expectation. Uh, Matt, which are you predicting for? Uh, I'm going to champion Nightcrawler on this one purely because I think I marked it that as my second favourite film of 2014. But that was probably only because I'd uh, seen it very recently before the awards, so I tried to sort of mark it accordingly and, and give something else a little bit of a, of a chance and just in case I was going on uh, the passion of having just seen it at the time but what a, an outstanding movie it was something completely different and something that took I think most of us by surprise to be fair uh, which is added to the impact that it's had on, on its audience so it's a film I really really love uh, I would be delighted to see it get some sort of recognition from the Academy, uh, chances are it probably won't, but I'm going to stick with that anyway. I think it's the only sort of semi-major category that it's been nominated for as well, Which, and it would be brilliant if it just picked up. Yeah. It's a travesty it hasn't been nominated for more things, whether it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal or mm. the cool soundtrack, the cinematography was excellent, so there's there's plenty of chances where it should have gotten more affection than it has done. Uh, hopefully yeah. it can swing, swing a small miracle on that one. Um, I'm totally with Matt. I mean, you know, I loved Nightcrawler. It was really unnerving, unsettling. You know, just a real surprise came out of nowhere. Gyllenhaal's amazing. And it's going to get a bit bigger shafting than anything on Fifty Shades of Grey. In, for, <laughs> um, and the, the twee, quirky nonsense that was the Grand Budapest is probably going to pick that one up. <laughs> uh, you weren't a fan of the Grand Budapest Hotel? No. Oh. Okay. okay. Uh, next on our list is the best adapted screenplay category. Uh, up for that is American Sniper, The Imitation Game, Inherent Vice, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Uh, Owen, which do you think will take that one home? Uh, I think. I mean, I don't think The Theory of Everything will get Best Picture. I honestly don't. But it could win Best Adapted Screenplay because the story is very. Uh, Oscar Beatty and Paul uh, I mean I'd love to see It's a, I mean for, I can put you out your misery there Owen it's a two horse race according to the odds but I'd love to see it go to Whiplash I really really would because mm. I thought that was you know really really great but I think the imitation game is going to nick it ok mm. and Matt yeah pretty much word for word uh, what Owen said on on the fear of everything it's absolute Oscar fodder so uh, I'm going to go for that one. Okay. Uh, next up is Best Animated Feature Film. And up for that is Big Hero 6, The Box Trolls, House Training Dragon 2, 
Song of the Sea, and the Tales of Princess Kaguya. I went with Big Hero 6 with this one. Um, I've only seen one of these, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it, as I enjoyed the first one, and that's How to Train Your Dragon 2, and I think that's nailed on. Yeah, we we had Callum on the podcast, was it last week or the week before, talking about um, the Annies, the official like animated feature film awards, and uh, he's how to train your how to train your dragon two, one the Annie, which basically is a lead into the Oscars, which makes it sort of almost a certainty. So I've gone for the same as well, how to train your dragon two. And uh, Matt, yeah, not seen any of these. Not a big fan of, of animated features uh, of the last few years, to be honest. So. Given that I'm a, a fan of, of Japanese animation in general, I've gone for the tale of Princess Kaguya. Okay. Yeah. Just two awards left now for us to uh, pick our way through. Number 10 uh, is Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, up for that is Ida, Leviathan, Tangerines, Timbuktu and Wild Tales. I'm going to be honest, I had no clue on any of these. I took a stab <laughs> in the dark went for Leviathan because I've heard other people on this podcast talk good things about it. Um, Owen, how many of these have you seen and which one are you going for? Uh, actually, I've seen none. I I almost paid to watch Ida, or was it Ida? I don't know how you pronounce it. It's a Polish film. And then I didn't at the last minute. I almost paid and then I thought, no, nah, I can't be bothered with it. Um, but I really think it's probably going to win because again just the, the buzz I've heard about it Leviathan I've also heard a lot of buzz about but seems a bit too obvious to go for Matt are you going to go for the obvious one or are you going <laughs> yeah, for... I like going obvious <laughs> <laughs> it's stuff I've not seen but uh, I recall a few mentions of Leviathan getting some uh, good things said on the podcast and it's a cool name <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with that one okay Paul which one are you going for are you picking the one with the coolest name uh, bizarrely I've actually seen three of these um, and I nearly uh, saw the Tangerines ones which I think was an Estonian film about a war veteran who grows tangerines um, didn't sound very interesting Leviathan it was so depressing it was just <laughs> grim and I would not ever want to watch it again even though it was good Wild Tales, that was a while ago. I don't really remember an awful lot about it. But um, Ida, now if you'd like a nice 4-3 aspect ratio, black and white, Polish drama about nuns, nailed on. That's the one that's <laughs> going to win. Okay. Seems right up my street then. <laughs> it was awful. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful, but it's going to win. Yes. Yeah. Finally then, uh, best documentary feature, uh, Citizen 4, Finding Vivian Mayer, Last Days in Vietnam, The Salt of the Earth, and Virunga. Um, Owen, which one do you think is going to be the best documentary? This is tough because I haven't seen any of them. I thought this year I'd seen loads. I thought, oh, brilliant, I've seen loads and loads of documentaries. They're going to be loads of them that are nominated at the end of the year, and I'll be able to talk a little bit about them. And actually none of the documentaries I've seen are in that list, which is annoying, because Storyville, I thought, had been brilliant. None of them are out, Owen. I've not been able to see any of them either. And they're not out, is that why? Yeah, I've, you, you know the do documentaries in my bag, and I've not seen... Apart from, I think, Citizen 4, you could at a push see, but the rest of them, no, none of them. 
uh, and next goal wins wasn't even nominated. <laughs> yeah, bet you gutted. I am the amount of plugging I did for that. I even interviewed <laughs> an international goalkeeper for that one, and, and the co-director. Two exactly. interviews for that. Yeah. Two interviews, and they got and they got me from the website and no one else. It we was... even gave away DVDs to try and yeah. get people to watch it. Yeah. It was sterling work, to be fair, Steve. You should have yeah. got an Oscar for that. Yeah, <laughs> I still want the DVD off of James that he, he won in inverted... Oh, did he win one? He did win one. He wasn't officially working for the website at the time, so he was eligible to enter the competition. So he Funny. he was one of the few people that entered as well. Oh, I'm sure I entered that. Talk to, talk to Owen. He was in charge. Yeah. Of, yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> Yeah, passing the book. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, who do we think is going to win uh, Best Documentary? I am not sure at all about this one, so I've just gone for one that's got a foreign-sounding name, Varunga. I also went for Varunga because I have do remember hearing something about it that I vaguely remember being good. Um, is it about a chimpanzee enclave or something? Or monkey? Something to do with wildlife preservation, I think. Absolutely no idea on this one. Uh, Matt? Just went for Varunga again. We're just taking a, a blind stab at this one. Um, not seen any. Um, I do try and watch a lot of documentaries, but when we're getting into foreign territory, that is entering murky waters for me. So Varunga as a complete and utter look box choice. Okay, and Paul, what did the book uh, say? The, uh, the same as I've gone for, Citizen Four. It's it's issuey. It's Edward Snowden. They love a bit of politics. I think that's going to nail it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, that is our uh, Oscar picks done. So we'll be uh, back when it's uh, all said and done with the the winner out of the four of us, I suppose. Um, if you want to make your predictions, you can you can tweet us. Um, or how could they do it any other way? Owen, can they comment at the bottom of um, the the podcast? When it's on yeah, the website the, and the website page for this podcast that you could that you presumably have looked at to download from, or you know, if you go to failcritics.com, it'll just be one of the top articles there. Just comment at the bottom if you want. You can leave. You don't have to vote in all categories. It'd be great if you did. Um, I'll put a list up of which categories we voted in in the sort of blurb for the podcast. Um, but yeah, just leave your votes in the comment section. We can try and find some prize. I don't know what it'll be. It'll Maybe be the same as last year. Of, uh... Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> Nothing. Didn't get it. It'll, be <laughs> yeah. it'll be a box set of um, Stallone films. I'm, oh, I'm, that one. I'm moving yeah. out. I'm, I'm moving out soon and can probably find some old DVDs I don't want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I tell you what, I mean, we'll have a booby prize as well. I mean, from right here, I can see of duplicates of that I've got. Uh, there's Star Wars on DVD and Season 4 of Lost, so... Wow, the, the, that is amazing. Someone could win Season 4 of Lost on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. What, what about the Emmanuel ones? Are they... Uh... <laughs> they're, they're mine. <laughs> I won't give them up for love nor money. Uh, anyway, that's all for Part 1. In Part 2, we have got what we've been watching. <laughs> Time then for what we've been watching, where we take a look at films we've seen in the last week or so that aren't necessarily new releases. Owen, why don't you start us off uh, with what you've seen? Okay. Um, it's quite topical this week, actually, the, the film I'm going to talk about. 
Um, because uh, have you heard about this Mars One project? Yes. Been in the news. Yes. Okay. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the, the Mars One project is, um, there's a clip here I've got from UK News on the on the Yahoo website. There's five Britons that have been shortlisted for the controversial project, which aims to establish a settlement on the Red Planet. Um, it is expected to cost six billion and will be filmed for a reality television series. So basically, they're sending some stupid people into space, putting them on Mars by the year 2024, and leaving them there and just filming it well, all. They don't seem to be, from their, their qualifications, they don't seem to be stupid people. I mean, you might think they're stupid well. signing up to this, but they don't seem to be, like, idiots academically. No, they're not, they haven't picked, like, Chantel from Big Brother and whatever else to go into space. They've, they've picked, like, the guy who I heard on the radio recently was from Oxford University talking about it, and, yeah, okay, fine, he seems well-educated, but he also, I don't know. It's, anyway, regardless of their in actual intelligence, I think, personally, they're pretty pretty stupid to decide to go on a mission where they know they're just going to die, and the experts are saying that within, like, a few months in space, they'll just die anyway. Well, so, I mean... Okay, so they're not seen interstellar. <laughs> provided, yeah. provided they can actually get to Mars, are they stupid? I mean... It's quite a big thing to be one of the first humans onto another planet. It's, that's not going to happen, though, is it? I would not be surprised if it turned out to be a massive hoax. Well, they've got nothing to lose, then, have they, really? Well, put it this way. I saw one of the, the, the passengers, or potential passengers, being interviewed on, on the news just before we came on to, the, to record this tonight, and the guy was like, oh, if I could go out there and represent the human race and be the first person to start a new civilization in space, why would I ever want to come back? I was like, you don't want to come back because you can't get a bird, I can tell just by looking at it. <laughs> oh, no. well, isn't, isn't, the, isn't the British shortlist one guy and four birds? Oh, I don't know. What's the quote? You, you'll know this, Paul. What's the quote from Clerks 2 with Jay? It says he wants to be the first oh, man to go into outer space. space. And fuck a Martian. Yeah, basically. That's, that sounds like your guy, Matt, from the news. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but anyway, the reason that I bring it up, as I say, kind of makes it topical. Um, I watched a film called Virtuality on uh, UK Netflix. It's directed by Peter Berg, who did Welcome to the Jungle with The Rock and Sean William Scott, which I thought was an all right film. Uh, he also did Hancock and Battleship and uh, Lone Survivor last year or the year before. He's, he's um, got pedigree then. Exactly, yeah, it's quality, isn't it? Um, it was also written by two guys, Michael Taylor and Ronald D. Moore, who I don't really know a lot of their work, but they'll be famous to sort of other sci-fi geeks because they work together on uh, Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek and loads of other sort of sci-fi TV shows. Um, but Virtuality is actually a TV movie as well, by the way, something I didn't realise until after the film had finished and then it started to all make sense because of how low the production values were. Um, but anyway, it's about a crew of 12 people on a spaceship, uh, which is captained by Nikolai Costa-Waldo, I think that's how you pronounce his name, otherwise known as Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Um, and they're on an exploratory 10-year mission to another solar system. But um, this is why it links to the Mars One project. Everything they do is filmed and beamed back to Earth in the form of a reality TV show. Uh, anyway, at one point during the mission, they learn about something that jeopardises the whole uh, project, meaning they face deciding either to carry on and risk it, or do they turn around and head home. 
However, they do receive videos from Earth and learn that back home things are going to utter shit. Uh, also, however, anyway, the film is called Virtuality because on their spaceship they have a virtual reality machine that they can use to keep themselves sane and stuff. Um, but that's gone a bit doolally. And there's a character who is in the program who wasn't put there by anyone on the crew. Um, and they're onboard AI version of Hal can't explain where he's appeared from. And he's breaking the programming and killing people in their sort of virtual or otherwise harming them in their sort of virtual uh, reality systems. So if it seems like there's a ton of like different ideas in there that are all kind of interesting in their own interesting in their own little way then yeah they, they are but when they're put together in a film like this with so many characters that get so little screen time and it's kind of got a relatively short runtime of about 87 minutes it's just really convoluted and there's so many like different concepts that could intertwine intertwine such as like um the role that the the ship psychologist has who's played by James Darcy um He's uh, also the producer for the reality TV show. So there's kind of something there with his character, which is just really flimsy at best. Um, and it's also kind of alludes, it alludes to whether or not the trouble back home that they're learning about is actually real or whether it's staged as part of the show. But then it's kind of just mentioned, contemplated for a little bit and then swiftly forgotten about as they just get back to this existential virtual reality crisis that they're having. Um, which actually, by the way, is the weakest aspect of the story. And I mean, I mean, it did start off really well. I wouldn't have watched it to the end if it was as bad as it was by the time it finished. But it started off really well. And it introduces these ideas quite well. And the, these different, um, like, interconnected, overlapping concepts that they're all really interesting to begin with. But then they never really fully develop them. And then by the time it closes them off, it just... I mean, it just doesn't stop introducing new ideas and doesn't finish any of the ones that it, it, it tries to tempt you with. And, uh, I mean, it would have been much better if they ditched at least half of the characters, if they didn't bother with trying to, you know, enticing you about what's going on back home, if that was just left out completely, and just committed to this overarching story about the virtual reality machine, it would have been better. Instead, it felt like a really shallow... Uh, despite some clever little strands that run through, a really shallow film with not too much going on, um, despite having so much happening at the same time, and not enough time spent on, well, anything really. Um, but it was well directed, I guess. It looked quite good in the way that most films that are set in space do. There's lots of lens flare, it's bright on natural light and all that. It's just a shame that the overall quality of the movie was so disappointing. Sounds like there might have been some what I refer to now as stunt casting going on there. It used to be if you had a limited budget and you were going to do a sort of straight-to-video TV movie, you'd get someone from The Wire. Hmm. And uh, now it's, let's get someone from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think this was pre-Game of Thrones. So this was released uh, 2008. Oh, okay. So it was, it's a couple of years old but now. But do, do you not think that's the thing? Have you not noticed at the moment? Oh, yeah, it, definitely. All the time. It's like, oh. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's not new, is it? Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so, Paul, what have you seen this week? Well, I, not a lot, really, but I did watch or rewatch. Um, I Saw the Devil um, for for the website, in fact. You're doing a, a, a decades of film. Um, we are, yeah. Yeah, and this is, I picked this for the best film of um, 2010. Um, which I was fortunate enough to see first time around at the London Korean 
Film Festival, um, where the uh, director was there, um, Kim Ji Woon, and um, yeah, it was, uh, it was it's it's yeah brutal um, Korean revenge, which is a kind of a, a genre unto itself now. With, with there's so many mm. entries <laughs> into this um, kind of sector, but this was a, a strange one. I mean, Kim Ji Woon did not kind of dipped into this pool before. You've got Choi Min Sik from Old Boy, and you've got Lee Byung Hung from um, A Bit of Sweet Life, and uh, uh, or G.I. Joe, if you don't watch Korean films. <laughs> He's also going to be in the new Terminator film. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's... Have you all seen it? I have. I bloody love I Saw the Devil. <laughs> uh, I it, haven't seen it, but I think I might check it out based on what it, you just said. It sounds it, pretty cool. It, it kind of takes the, the whole kind of revenge genre and just cranks it up and up and up. And it, <laughs> I'm a big kind of um, fan of, of Korean cinema, and I love all the, the kind of the melodrama, the completely ridiculous... Um, the police are always portrayed yeah. as Keystone Cops. <laughs> you have these mad tonal shifts where the movie's all over the place, but somehow they all work. And Kim Ji Woon, it looks amazing. It just looks beautiful, this film. Mm. And it's juxtaposed by this horrendous violence. Just horrendous. And, um, yeah, no, I, you know, for me, as, I, as I've mentioned in the review, I mean, Kim Ji Woon... Probably one of the you know the best directors working today. From you, you go back to you know his 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 kind of first effort, The Quiet Family, which is uh, brilliant, like a murderous Forty Towers. Mm. You go through to A Bittersweet Life, which is a, just an amazing gangster film. The Good, the Bad, the Weird, which is an amazing western. Uh, through to I Saw the Devil, and then his last film, which had Arnie in it, The Last Stand. <laughs> so yeah, if you haven't seen it, I. Genuinely, I can't recommend it enough, but it really isn't for the faint-hearted. It really isn't. How does it stand up against something that more people would have seen, like Old Boy? Choi Min Sik is it's the same lead actor, um, mm-hmm. which was clearly deliberate because it, it kind of takes the tropes and themes from Old Boy and, in a way, just ramps them off the scale. Where typically in a revenge film, you, you, you kind of—I don't want to spoil it too much—but you. You, you know, you're going after the guy to get your vengeance. In this, he he gets him pretty early on, mm. and then you're thinking, well, hang on, what happens next? And then it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, ooh, no, ah, oh, ooh, and yeah, that. So yeah, yeah. I to think me, I'd compare I prefer, it. Yeah, I prefer it to Old Boy. Yeah, I well, I I don't know. They'd make a fantastic double bill, actually. I saw the Devil and Old Boy. I think it kind of fits. Somewhere between Old Boy and something like The Chaser, which is another popular Korean film, where you've you've got good guys and bad guys, but it's not as black and white as that. No, you know, it's very um, I wasn't say grey areas, but it's more like red areas from the amount of blood <laughs> that's all over it. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely taxi, brutal as well. The taxi scene is just there's a, there's so many scenes like that though. The taxi scene, there's um, the scene where he first where Kim Ji-Win's character first catches up to Choi Min-sik as well, oh. which is... They're just brutal, absolutely. Yeah, normally, brutal. when you see people being hit with objects, you don't actually see the object hit, you'll just hear the noise. Mm. So, you know, but in this, you all the impacts are there. Every living whack, stone yeah. over the head, knife in them, everything is, is completely visceral. And just, yeah, it's, it's really, really 
a, it's a blast though. It's not as grim as it sounds. Its tongue is firmly mm. in its cheek. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and Matt, what have you seen? Um, I've had a couple of uh, gold moldies to kill some time in the last few days. Um, Sky had put all the Die Hard collection onto their on-demand service over the weekend. So there's only one I'm going to watch, which was the first one, of course. Our favourite Christmas movie of all time. So Die Hard, of course, the one we've all seen, starring Bruce Willis and, and Alan Rickman, predominantly uh, featuring the cop who's just trying to get home to see his little girl and wife at Christmas, but get gets caught up in an international terrorist incident, uh, or master fevery incident, if you want to be more specific. Um, I'm delighted to say I haven't actually seen Die Hard for, for a while, uh, so I was a little bit apprehensive about going back to it, as I tend to overanalyze things a little bit when I go back to a, a, an old classic. <laughs> Uh, but I'm glad to say it, it holds up tremendously well. It's still as entertaining and over the top and silly with the action as I remember it being. All the dialogue still really snappy and excellent. Bruce Willis is fantastic in it. It's still a five out of five action movie, I'm glad to say. So I really enjoyed revisiting that. Um, the second one I watched, um, just a little something to get me through a slow Sunday afternoon. I watched uh, Enter the Dragon, which I also picked up on Sky on Demand. Um, again, one that I've not seen for years, and I was a massive fan of Enter the Dragon as a kid, and I, I love Bruce Lee movies. Mm. Um, doesn't hold up quite as well as I remember. It's still entertaining, um, but the fight sequences aren't quite as impressive as I used to remember. Perhaps because we've seen or been spoiled for choice with so many modern martial arts movies, from your onbacks to the Ray type movies, or even 80s Golden Harvest stuff like your, your Jackie Chan and Ewan Bure type films perhaps supersede this slightly but where Enter the Dragon succeeds is the cool factor it's such a cool movie mm. um, because you know you're watching the greatest martial artist of all time at the peak of his powers and everything's just so massively impressive with him whether it's from his uh, philosophy to the actual physical action in the movies, it's still very uh, impressive to a degree. And, uh, yeah, it's still a good film, and it's certainly one of the most important martial arts movies of all time, if not the most important martial arts movie of all time. And knowing you did a, a pretty cool retrospective on, on Bruce Lee quite recently, where you, you touched on Enter the Dragon. I did, yeah. Because you're right, I mean, it was it was really important. It was the first um, martial arts or kung fu film to be produced by an American, um, well, it's co-produced, I think, Warner Brothers and Golden Harvest co-produced it. Um, and it had a massive budget for, for the type of film it was, $850,000, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but in 1973, for this film about, um, you know, fighters from all around the world, it's basically an exploitation film with a huge budget. And is really, really good. I mean, you, you, as well, you touched upon how... Um, the action sequences don't really hold up as well these days, but I think it's because it was—it's a different type of film to yeah. what like On Back is, or mm-hmm. um, or even the, the 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 Jackie Chan films from like the eighties, like Police Story or uh, Project Day or anything like that, because they're more 
there's different influences there. I mean, the Enter the Dragon uh, influences mainly come from Bruce Lee and his philosophies that he wanted to impart on the film and on the Western audience. That he that, that was his goal ultimately. It's why he halted production on Game of Death to go and do Enter the Dragon because he wanted to be the the, the man who who made these credible, well respected uh, martial arts movies. And that had something to say, other than just, you've got the big bad guy in an island and he wants to bring loads of international fighters together till they kill each other, kind yeah. of thing, you know. Um, oh, I agree. Yeah, no, Enter the Dragon couldn't possibly work without Bruce Lee. Any yeah, other it, martial artist getting the top bill in there. And it couldn't work succeed. without... It couldn't work without the, the support cast either, because it it was, part of its success as well was um, bringing together people for, like... Um, you know the the characters in it whose names are escaping me. Yeah, is it John Saxon as uh, and Jim Kelly and John Saxon? Yeah, yeah they're That's both it. brilliant in it. Who are both brilliant? And then you've got Sammo Hung and Bolo Young, and they're all making their sort of um, big Western screen debuts in a way, even if they're playing minor characters. And it's just yeah, I really, I still really love Enter the Dragon. I think it's fantastic. Okay, um, I think that brings an end to what we've been watching then. Up next, we have got the new release section of the podcast uh, where we're reviewing everything from predestination to Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Time then to get stuck into a few new releases uh, that are out or coming out in the UK shortly. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off with the new Will Smith film, Focus? Yeah, okay. Um, so Focus is written and directed by uh, John Requar and Glenn Ficara. I think that's how you pronounce the names. It is now. Uh, it is. That's it. It's, it's in. That's it. It's going to be that from now on. They work together on Crazy Stupid Love and I Love You, Philip Morris. Uh, two films I've not seen before and hopefully will never see. Um, stars 46-year-old. Will Smith, just let that sink in for a second, that Will Smith is 46 years old. Uh, he plays Nicky, also known as Mello, a professional con man from a family of con men, actually. Um, and after a 24-year-old Margot Robbie tries to pull a con on him and fails, she eventually convinces him to sort of take her under his wing. And they start pulling a load of small cons together uh, and sort of they get quite a bit of money out of it. And there's a bit of romance between the two of them and they go off on the run and pull some more jobs and then stuff happens and blah, 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 blah. You've probably seen a dozen con movies before that are exactly the same. It's no different to any other standard outline for any other con film. Um, so firstly, the good things, I guess, because there aren't too many of them. Will Smith was pretty good, although he was basically being Will Smith. Um, I actually thought Margot Robbie was a lot better, but had a weaker character. Can I, did, did he sing the theme tune? He, no, there's no, no theme tune for him oh. to sing. No. Uh, which is very disappointing, isn't it? I mean, what's the point in having <laughs> Will Smith? Why would you have Will Smith if he's not get to sing the theme tune? Exactly, exactly. But he didn't, unfortunately. Um, and like I say, Margot Robbie was good. She, in fact, her scenes with um, a guy called Adrian Martinez, who's sort of like Will Smith's mate, who appears in a lot of films with Will Smith, but you never really know who he is. He's in this. 
Um, he was good, and his scenes with Margot Robbie were the most kind of natural and genuinely like funny bits in the entire film. The the thing is, the, the con jobs as well that they pull were actually the best bit of the film. The way it builds them up is great. It teases you with um, these things about people being addicted to to gambling. You've got Will Smith's characters possibly. Oh, he can't really resist gambling away his fortune on horses and stuff, and then there's sort of twists about what's happening, and you know. And when I say it's a, it's a, it's a it is a badly written story, and it's very very predictable and cliched and completely unoriginal. It it's one of those films where you can look at it, you can look at the trailer, you can see the advert on TV, you can even just read the the name and see the picture on a bus and know exactly how it's going to play out. Absolutely everything. You know exactly how it's going to end with, you know, oh, who's conning who? Mm, isn't that like a twist that you didn't see coming? And it, it's not far off that. Whatever you imagine is not far off. It is so, so predictable. But it is kind of slickly directed. It looks good in places and there are times when it tries, tries to be super serious, like the appalling sex scenes that I, when they happen... I thought they were jokes because there's a reference made earlier on in the film that um, Margot Robbie can't she can't play men she's she's crap at being sexy, um, but they weren't jokes they were actually meant to be taken seriously and I was just looking around and people were laughing because it looks like it's going to be a joke and it's like oh no wait actually this is carrying on a bit too long to be a gag it's an actual right okay well yeah this is pretty dreadful so yes painfully obvious what the plot twist is going to be but it's hard to hate it as well at the same time i think if you stop trying to second guess it which is very difficult because you automatically go into that mode with a type of film like this and just let it play out on the screen it's got a few redeeming qualities in there it's just i've described it elsewhere as this it's just this year's dumb but flashy light-hearted thriller it's like now you see me if you watch that with um Jesse Eisenberg, it's it's like that. It's fine if there's nothing else on and you've got a burning desire to munch through some popcorn, but it's not really a particularly special film. How does it stack up against like American Hustle for the? Because I do like con man movies, but yeah. So I mean, American Hustle tried to be a bit classy, and it tried to have um, some kind of interest in there, and it was playing on the characters. This is the rom-com equivalent of a con film without being a rom-com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next film we'll be reviewing then is uh, Predestination, a time travel caper is starring Ethan Hawke um, in the central role. He plays a um, time-travelling cop uh, or works for a time-travelling agency that go back in time to stop crimes before they happen um whoa this sounds familiar <laughs> time cop <laughs> minority report hello yeah <laughs> oh no it goes back in time further than minority report this is proper time traveling this is this is yeah Did they time travel in minority report well no no, just... no they stopped crimes before they happened but they didn't yeah time but then travel, time cop he went back in time to stop he did yeah yes um yeah. so yes um in, in terms of time travel films, it's easier to understand than Primer, but more difficult to understand than Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's, there's, there's a lot going on in the film. Um, it, it, it's good, but not great, I'd say. 
it's certainly not great, but it, it certainly keeps you keeps hold of you for um, the, the duration of the film with the twists in the plot and the performances yeah. as well. Um, there are a fair few twists, some of them obvious, some of them not so obvious. Um, and there's also quite a few time travel paradoxes to get your head around as well and, and kind of work out how all that kind of stuff works. Mm. It's, I think it, um, it, it is kind of predictable, um, but also I quite like the fact that there is a time travel sci-fi film like this that exists and can be made. You know, it hasn't got to be um, Primer, the super serious film about time travel. It hasn't got to be Back to the Future, which is a goofy comedy look at it. You can just have films like this made that are just trying to be entertaining and interesting and throw up a few new different concepts and stuff. And despite having what I thought was a paper thin story for the most part, it was quite, quite good. I kind of liked it. And it's one of those more I thought about it after it finished. I liked it more as time went on. But you've seen this as well, haven't you, Paul? Did I, you, I, you I remember have. What you thought? Oh, God. <laughs> near, probably best two months, more than two months on. Mm. And it's probably not a good advert for it because two months on, all I can remember is Ethan Hawke, a girl who looked like a lesbian and lots of explosions. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's, that's all you need in a film, isn't it? There you go. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Snook, I think her name is. There you go, that's her. But, um, I, yeah. I genuinely, I, it was, I, I think it was a Saturday night and I may have had a glass of wine, so <laughs> you, this is one you need to watch Stone Cold. Yeah, I it's, think what would be great as well, if you could watch it without watching the first two or three minutes, because there's something in the first two or three minutes, there's a massive clue. For what happens in the story? Yeah, probably don't remember that, Paul. But no, I it... don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> there's something that I saw in the first two or three minutes. I'm like, right, okay, so that means that the relationship between these two is. Mm. Okay. There's there's another time travel film out this week, isn't there? Called Project Almanac, which yeah, which looks like it could be good. Looks like it's filmed in the same kind of style as uh, Chronicle or Super Eight, um, which are both really good films. So. Kind of looking forward to that one and seeing I how that works. I do like a time travel film. Mm. Me too. I saw the trailer. It did look good. Yeah. Mm. Um, so hopefully it'll kind of live up to expectations. But yeah, Predestination, it, I'd say it's worth a watch. Um, but I kind yeah. of wouldn't go out of your way to see it. There's basically a Red Dwarf episode that covers the, the entire plot of this, which is slightly better. Yes, you <laughs> are quite right. I'm um, not going to say which one, no. but yeah. Uh, anyway, on to the final new release that we're reviewing this week, and that is the woman's favourite, uh, adapted from the novel Fifty Shades of Grey, which uh, Paul has been lucky enough to, <laughs> to view for us. Can, can we touch on Matt quickly, who, who did... No, you can't touch it. me, you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want the, the, the lowdown? Oh, oh, yeah. Of my Valentine's Day fuck-up. <laughs> okay, so... Cut a long story short, um, typically booking in advance isn't uh, a big deal on the Isle of Man. So I'm being reasonably thoughtful. I'm like a week before Valentine's Day. I call up our favorite restaurant, try and get a table. No, fully booked. So try a different curry house there, fully booked. So I've left it too late for the meal. But it's no problem because I've already booked tickets for Fifty Shades of Grey and she's going to be happy with that. Get to Saturday night. 
last showing of the evening, 9.15, so it's a massive sellout. We get there, the place is already busy, half an hour before it's due to start. I go to the, the desk to pick up my tickets. I'm sorry, sir, we don't seem to have a reservation of your name. And I'm like, you what? You what, mate? <laughs> and I get into a big argument with the clerk at the desk saying I must be there. I know what my seat numbers are. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me what I have booked for then because you've definitely charged me. And if I go home and print off the confirmation email and I come back and someone in those seats, I'm kicking them out of your cinema. And that's just what I said to the word for me. Wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, you so, full on Liam Neeson. So I... You can, you can just sense the desperation of a man who's fucked up Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. So 15 minutes before it's due to start, I grab my very disappointed girlfriend. We dash home to try and... Um, find my confirmation email and then it suddenly dawns on me that I don't have one uh, and I don't have a charge on my account and I've somehow dreamed this whole thing up <laughs> which is just really bizarre did, did, you manage was, to, did you manage to style it out though with your missus or did you have to own up no I, I had to own up and to be fair to her she, she took it like a champ and didn't didn't grill me too hard for it but needless to say, on the one night of the year I should have been guaranteed to get some action, I did not get any. <laughs> so that was my Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey story, and I'm looking forward, honestly, to seeing it this Saturday instead. Luckily, yeah. luckily you really aren't. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> luckily, I mean, my girlfriend didn't want to see Fifty Shades of Grey, so we went to Lyme Regis for the day, and it was lovely. Aww. So yeah. had some chips on the seafront and had a little wander around. Bought some fudge. Um, a finger of fudge. No. <laughs> did, you, did you did you pack this fudge yourself? <laughs> no, it was it was done efficiently by the staff in the shop. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Yeah. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did see Fifty Shades of Grey this week, and um, there was there was. Uh, Quite a lot of theatre involved in the in just 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 going to the cinema. Not not since the fat bloke took his top off during the Avengers have I have I had quite such a, a an eye opening um, cinema going experience. Um, my I had a female colleague in the audience. Hang on, she told hang me. On, hang on. Well, yeah, well, you can't hang move on. on from that. Sorry, the, the, the fat bloke took his top off in the event. I was trying to think through the film. I said, "What a fat bloke taking his top off?" There was a no fat bloke sat next to me. Yeah, who obviously got quite warm. Yeah, took his top off. Was sat there bare chested, <laughs> watching the Avengers. My me and my son next to him. Uh, I turned and said to to him something that. You know, I'm not proud of now. And um, 15 what, minutes what, later... What, what, hang on, what, which was? <laughs> I, 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 I can't. And um, well, We libel celebrities regularly on this, so, I mean, you can say <laughs> what you want about some, some I, sweaty man that okay, you'll never see again. We need to go back. He, he'd, been up, he'd been up to the toilet three times. He'd been throwing popcorn everywhere. He'd been talking to his mates. He'd been mumbling and groaning and talking. Then took his top off, and this is... I said... Get your fucking ass out of here! Or I'm going to fucking smack you in the face. And um, he left. That's, that's parenting 101, that isn't it? Yeah, I was just so. Do you know what I mean? I was just. Yeah. Oof, I just couldn't be dealing with it. Who takes their top off? <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> 
I'm expecting a better story now for Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey. But... <laughs> so, so anyway, did he get up and fuck off? Or... Yeah, no, he left. Yeah, you never oh, saw him again. Oh, right. Blimey. What did his mates do? They just sat there quietly, funnily enough. <laughs> like, That's you and Matt going like full on Liam Neeson. For yeah, two it's just, I, I think I'd had a really bad run of seat kickers, talkers, and that just about topped it off. Yeah. However, I think that, that you've trumped Steve's story about chasing someone out of a kebab shop once. So. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was me tackling racism. <laughs> um, you know, being vigilante, which which makes me more like Batman than any of the rest of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Anyway, sorry, Paul. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. No, We've it's okay. Like no, no. So. I've got so little to say about the film, so the, 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 the kind of the experience around it was, was probably more interesting to, than the film itself. So sat down um, amongst 10 40 to 50-year-old women who then proceeded to take selfies. <laughs> Even once the film had started, they were still taking selfies. <laughs> and I'm like, I just... I, I, Words failed me. I didn't care because I, I wasn't really interested in seeing it anyway. Um, people were talking the whole time. It was like this cacophony of noise. The woman in front ha- had these little wine bottles. She kept pulling out of her bag and just sculling them. Wow. And all I can say is <laughs> the, what I learned that evening was that all of the women in Eastbourne don't have any hair downstairs because when they saw that Anastasia had had a lady garden, they all made gagging noises <laughs> in unison, collective. Oh, and I was God. like, "Oh God!" But the question on everyone's mind is, Paul, mm. did it smell like a fishmonger's in there? Oh, oh it was. I mean, the the Sam Taylor Johnson, the director, she hasn't had any work for six years. That doesn't. You know, that kind of doesn't bode well. Charlie Hunnan, bless him. We need to talk about who, who wasn't in this film. The best thing he ever did was pulling out of that. P- pardon the pun. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's the first pun. Okay, carry on. And he's, you know, he's rocked up in Guillermo del Tormo's Crimson Peak. And if you, when you do finally see this, <laughs> you'll realise why. It's just awful. Soft pornography terrible terrible dialogue i was under the impression that there was a you know th- this was quite frisky i'd heard you know fisting and other kind of stuff going on i was thinking here we go no none of that <laughs> have you have you got a quote from the book you mentioned though i've got a quote you wanted to get some clarification on yes because this is i, I was just trying to do a bit of research i know we've we talked about how taboo that is earlier, but I, I just trying to do a bit of research, and I thought, I know what will be quite interesting. I'll get some Fifty Shades of Grey book quotes. Can you read it in a character's voice for us? Like, reenact it? <laughs> in a character's voice. I don't know what the characters are meant to sound like, but I'll give it a go. But this is, like, there's, there's some controversial scenes that were left out. I don't know was the fist, if the fisting scene was one of them, or whether that's going to appear in a later film, because apparently there are sequels. Go on. Uh, but... This is a controversial tampon scene. Whoa. No. Yeah. No. Which I believe didn't make it into the final cut. Mm. Although, if you do want to see that, you need to see the film Wetlands. 
<laughs> oh, oh god, you recommended that to me ages ago. I'm I'm nervous about that one. I don't Slow know bump through fifty grades really quickly. Okay. Boy. Hope tries to get in girl's pants. She's not having it. She finally having it. Finds out he's into kinky stuff. She says, "Go on then." You think he's going to do all sorts of incredibly bad things to her, and he tickles her with a feather. The women in the audience all gush and go, Whoa! Somebody says the word anal fisting. The end. Wow. And, and then the usher comes in with a mop and bucket. and. Uh... Oh, you think? That's what I was expecting. But trust me, this was borderline even being an 18. Yeah, I've heard that there's only like one or two scenes that possibly push towards being 18-ish. The only thing that happens of any note, I would guess, is that you know she gets hit on the bottom with a belt at one point, God and she's pre-warned this is going to happen, mm. and you don't see the marks. So, do these women not have the internet? <laughs> um, you know, if you. I don't I'm, want to name not any sites that may or may not exist, but I'm pretty sure if you went to RedTube that you may well find significantly worse than you're ever going to see in Fifty Shades. It, it, honestly, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure with the internet being as, as extensive as what it is, there is a website that is like made for, for what you might call women's porn. So it's not like this, you know... Xhamster.com this is what we've come to. <laughs> the thing is, you don't actually, you only, you see her bits all the time. But you see, and, I, and I'm, I'm not good at judging distances and sizes, but I think one quarter of one inch of the top, not the tip, the top of his old fella. And that's it. That's not surprising, really. I mean, um, it, I'm going to say like a bit of a bully liberal for a second but honestly it really doesn't surprise me because it's still bizarrely taboo to show any sort of male nudity sure. and compared to the stuff they try it's an adult film about well sex it's yeah. about sex it's about two people having sex so why is it okay for it to be you know have lots of tits and arse in it and a bit of bush apparently but then just hardly anything from the bloke. I don't get it. I don't understand why that's any different. I, I don't get it. I mean, the, the BBFC are a, are a strange beast and, you know, that they, they object to anything that's, you know, violence and sex is a big no-no for them. You, you go down that road, hmm. you, you're going to be really, really struggling to get anything past them. So I, I, I kind of get it, but, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an insult to anyone who, you know, if you weren't there because you've read the books, there mm. really is genuinely nothing to see because it's long and it's really boring. So am I still not likely to score next weekend? Do you have a red room and some feathers? <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> well, I can always rip open a pillow. Well, I mean, that's, that's all for our new releases and pretty much all for, for this week. Uh, all we've got left to do is recommend some films for you for the week ahead. I'm going with Netflix. New on Netflix UK is The Raid 2. Ooh, fantastic choice. Uh, Owen? On uh, BBC Two on Friday at 5 past 11 in the evening, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I've said enough about it recently, so you can look at either my AI and film article on the website, uh, listen to our AI special edition episode of the podcast, which Matt was on as well. Um, which mm-hmm. we did a couple of weeks back, or 
we've even got like a Stanley Kubrick Corridor of Praise podcast where we like rave about all of his films. Okay. So, um, yeah, Paul, what are you going to recommend for people? I'm going to go for one of those fangled Blu-ray disc things that, that, that people seem to like, which I've seen flogged to death on a 4OD, and that's Maps to the Stars. Um, Cronenberg, back mm. on form. This is the film that Julianne Moore <coughs> should have been getting the uh, nom for, and I can tell you, forget Fifty Shades, Maps to the Stars is filthy and absolutely brutal. Get it watched. Okay, and Matt. I'm going to go for a new Blu-ray release in the last week or so. Uh, season 4 of Game of Thrones just arrived in the post. And given that the Series 5 is going to be starting up in the next few weeks on Sky Atlantic, it's a good time to re-watch and try and remember all of those new characters that you didn't give a shit about in the last series. But it's still <laughs> the best show on TV, so uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go pick it up. Okay, excellent. Well, that's all for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Fail Critics Podcast. In the meantime, you can satisfy your need for us by going to www.failedcritics.com uh, or visiting our Twitter page at Failed Critics. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Yeah, and then you just go for a regular Coke. No, I was, I was trying all sorts. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel bad at that first segment because I had the odds all printed out. <laughs> it's like, is that called preparation? Is that not allowed? That's, yeah. It's not that it's not allowed, it's just not expected. <laughs> it's, it's as long as you know you're not getting paid, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's frowned upon. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, if you want a, a football football equivalent, it's like if you're... It's the unwritten rule of throwing the ball back to the opponent if they put the ball out of play for an injury, but you decide just to play on instead. Right. Making notes is basically playing on instead when you should give it back. To <laughs> <you>. <laughs> it's a bit about yourself, what you do, why you like the website and the podcast, and what kind of films you like in that. Oh, God, and your you favourite band you... as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I... <laughs> Quite like Depeche Mode, Matt. You, uh, you, this will come as a surprise to oh, you. Yes, you don't say... Um, my kind of history of cinema goes back to um, through multiple generations my 
grandfather um, owned a cinema, uh, and then my father as well, and they were, and then he was a projectionist for for, for many many years. So um, it's kind of uh, in the blood, if you like. And um, yeah, my, my he's no longer with us now, but I think that just just doing this, my father would be incredibly proud, and, and I, I miss him very much. Cinematic oh, royalty, oh. that's good stuff. Yeah. No, thank you guys. Um, the site, you know, I, I can't remember how I found you guys. I have no idea. Probably through Letterbox or something like that. I saw a list. Yeah. And, yeah, and then realised you did a podcast. And I used to have a really long commute. And um, I just used to fill my journey sort of t- t- sort of 10 hours driving a week with, with podcasts. And uh, you guys found your way onto there. And, uh, yeah, you've been there ever since. Yeah, once you've hit that RSS feed, there's no going back. That's it. So yeah, no, that, thank that's, you for just we, that's just how we have the settings, isn't it, Owen? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's no escaping it. Excellent. Uh, so we'll kick off with the quiz then, where uh, Callum dragged it back to 2-1. It, um, still 2-1 to Owen, but got a point on the board for the guests. Uh, mm. Remember, if Owen wins, he will most probably make me watch a rubbish film, although he could choose a good one <laughs> for me. And the same will happen if I win, and it's first to three. Um, so I am going to run through someone's filmography, and they're going to try and guess who it is. Um, first up, we're going to go for 1989 and Dead Poets Society. Owen, Robin Williams. It is not Robin no, Williams. of course not. Uh, in 1992, they were in a film called A Midnight Clear. No. Never even heard of that. Not heard of it. Yeah, carry on. In 1997, they were in a film called Gattaca. <sighs> Matt. Yes, Matt. Uma Thurman. It is not Uma Thurman. You're really good at this, Paul. Well, I'm. I'm hopeless now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Need, I don't know. In 2001, they were in Training Day. Matt. Uh, yes, Matt. Ethan Hawke. It is Damn. Ethan Hawke. Oh, Get in there. <laughs> Makes the score two all, uh, and next week will be a a one quiz shootout between the Owen and the guests for the victor of uh, this edition of the quiz. Uh, Owen is starting to dread it now because he knows I've got something incredibly bad lined up for him to watch. I am sweating. I've got the sweats, yes. I'm I'm going to sweat too much, Owen, because I'm pretty sure I'm on again next week. Oh, thank God for that. (laughs) Matt, you're not welcome next time. (laughs) Rigged. I want to take a shit movie. (laughs) There's shit and there's shit, Matt. Um, Anyway, uh, on to... Well, in lieu of the news this week, we have got um, a kind of Oscars preview uh, as that ceremony is coming up very shortly. We're going to run through the Oscars and uh, have a go at picking what we think will win. Not what we want to win, what we think will win. Uh, what we want to win and what we think will win are usually two completely different things, aren't they, Owen? Yeah, but, I mean, Paul's here partly because he got... How many was it you got right last, last year, uh, Paul? All, all bar one. And even all the one, one, I picked it to be contrary to try and mix it up a bit, so I would have been more <laughs> otherwise. Exactly. And I got, was it all of them, all nine that we had to guess the year before, right? So, you know, we've got form here. We know what we're doing. Well, before before we predict the Oscars, at the time of recording, we don't know who, who killed Lucy Bills. Does anyone want to hazard a guess and uh, add that into our betting equation? Is this is this EastEnders? Yeah, it's Stenders. How is 
EastEnders on our podcast, Steve. I don't know. This is we're just, we're just you know, putting wages on things and, and predicting things. That's <laughs> what we predict who killed Lucy Bill. I'm I reckon go, Nick Cotton. Go on, sorry, Matt. Nick Cotton. I'm, I think it's Wellard. <laughs> I was going to go for Wellard. Uh, <laughs> there we go. That's it. I, I don't know who's in it. Dirty Den, is he in it? Doc Cotton, is that? If it's Dirty Den, that'd be the best storyline ever. Yeah. I think it was Cause Arthur, because he stole the Christmas Club money. This is... You're showing your age, I think, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, a little story, which hopefully I won't get arrested for, but the last time they did a Who Killed thing... That's always a good way to start an anecdote, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, I knew already who'd done it and placed several wages at several different bookmakers and, and cleaned up quite nicely, over a thousand quid. Jesus. <laughs> My goodness. Do you know what? I didn't even watch the episode because I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who any of the people were. It was somebody who killed somebody, Mitchell, and it was some girl who killed him. Uh, is this why they're kind of trying to do it yes. live? Yes. <laughs> so people don't do what you did. Exactly. Yeah. But surely people still know because they film the rest in advance. They're all going to fi- already film next week's episodes. I, I don't know. I know this time I've colleagues in the office were asking me cause this, the, the, if I could, you know, get the information, and I just couldn't do it. He, he didn't know. And if you looked at the odds, it was all pretty, pretty even. Mm. Anyway, that's that's <laughs> extenders. Um, that's never we promised we don't rig the Oscars by the way we, no. there's a disclaimer we haven't rigged the Oscars in favour of failed critics no not, not yet no, not yet still time We're not that powerful um, so yes um, starting off then with best picture um, which is uh, American Sniper Birdman Boyhood Grand Budapest Hotel The Imitation Game Selma The Theory of Everything and Whiplash who do we think is going to take home that golden statue uh, Paul, I'm. Everyone's been saying boyhood the whole time. I'm. I'm. I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm. I'm going Birdman. Interesting. I would, I would absolutely love it if it was Birdman, but I do think it's boyhood. I can't see past it. I mean, every, it's won the Golden Globe and the Baftas and about forty other awards in total. It's just ridiculously clean sweeping everything there's a sea change in the air my friend there's a sea change <laughs> in the air and Matt what do you predict for, for that one oh, I would love it if it had been uh, American Sniper just to shut up the arses of the Oscar fascists but um, <laughs> I'm going for the theory of everything because the, the love train for that film is just massively overhyped in general um, whilst I appreciate it's a nice story it's kind of something that we're all overly familiar with, um, but I think that's the sort of thing that the Oscars are going to snap up hotline and sinker, so I'm going to shoot for that one. I've also gone for the theory of everything. Um, I'd have probably liked, uh, out of those that I've seen, um, Whiplash or Selma to win it, but I don't think they're going to. Um, I've not seen mm. Birdman yet. Um, the rest I have seen now. Um Oh, sorry, yeah. Birdman and Boyhood. Both of you have gone for a hundred to one shot. <laughs> yeah, we didn't prepare that much <laughs> to get the actual odds. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I not mention the odds going forward? <laughs> <laughs> never, never tell no, me the you odds. Can't, you can't retract your um, choices now, lads. That's it. It's Oi, in. get your mobile out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way um, he's going to get into the Oscars, isn't it? Well, Ray Winston. Yeah. Have a bang on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Get right um, on it. Uh, two, best director, um, either Wes Anderson for the Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarasu for Birdman, Richard Linklater for Boyhood, Bennett Miller for Boxcatcher, or Morton uh, Tilden for The Imitation Game. I went with this one for uh, Richard Linklater for Boyhood. I just think that regardless of whether it gets best film or not, it's probably the best technical achievement as a film being filmed over that long a period. And for that reason, he should get best director. It's amazing, like, consistency that he managed to get with it, to get everything to stay looking the same through the 12 years. And it's, a, you know, like you said, pretty amazing achievement to pull off a project like that. Uh, I think he'll win it as well. I honestly think he'll win it. I would love, again, for Inuritu to win for Birdman because that... And in fact, Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest Hotel. I'd be happy with either of those two, but I think it would be... I still think it'll be Linklater. Best picture and best director in the bag, if you ask me. And, uh, Paul, what do you think for this one? I, I'm marrying it up with Birdman. Inuritu's going to win it, and he's going to win it easily. Wow. Confidence. You reckon? Yeah, confident. Easily? Yep. Done deal. Wow. And Matt? Yeah, um, just purely as a method of trying to differentiate from the rest of you guys, because I would have thought Linklater would be the, the obvious candidate here. I've gone for Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest Hotel. Just so I can try and outscore you if there's some bizarre sort <laughs> of events. That, that's purely a shot in the dark there. It's, I don't think it's that much of a shot in the dark, really. I think Linklater's, I, I th- regardless of what Paul just said, <laughs> I think Linklater's nailed on for, for Best Director. But I would probably put Wes Anderson second. Do you want a five on it, Owen? I think it's quite a close <laughs> category, though, in general. It's, it's a very yeah. strong one, and there's, there's a couple, or maybe even three, very strong candidates there. Yeah. So um, which way it's mm. going to go? Who's got the live odds? I don't know. <laughs> uh, best actor, uh, Steve Carell up for Foxcatcher. Uh, Bradley Cooper for American Sniper, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game, Michael Keith for Birdman, and Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. Um, Matt, who do you think is going to take away that award? Well, I've gone for Eddie Redmayne. Again, I think he looks oddly better as Stephen Hawking than he does as Eddie Redmayne. And for that alone, <laughs> he deserves an Oscar for that. Never mind, again, the, the hype train that's behind the movie and, and the love for, for Redmayne that, that exists at the minute, but that would be a pretty cool reason to get an Oscar, I think. <laughs> because he looks better than someone else. Yes. Oh, poor Redmayne. On that basis, are you going to give somebody like Alistair McGowan an Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> no, just Redmayne. Just Redmayne. <laughs> okay. Uh, Owen, who are you tipping to win this category? Uh, yeah, Eddie Redmayne, I think. I don't know what the odds are, Paul, um, but I think Eddie Redmayne, again, just because he's won at the BAFTAs and Golden Globes, it's probably probably a certainty. Probably. A certainty, probably. Yeah, and Paul? It's 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 a two-horse race. I mean, there's, there's, the rest of them are way out of it. It's Keaton or Redmayne, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Redmayne as well. I think it's locked in. I've gone with Keaton, just to be difficult, <laughs> just, to, just to be different. I think I did this a few times last year. Everyone else went for the same thing, so I just said, no, I'm going to be different just to make the, the voting, you know, the um, polling a bit more interesting. So just to be contrary of uh, yeah. that. 
Uh, best Actress, we've got Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night, Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything, Julianne Moore for Still Alice, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon for Wild. Um, for this one, I went with Reese Witherspoon for Wild. Um, I've not seen the film yet, so you might think it's a stupid choice, but I've not seen many of those films, actually. Mm. Um, I've not seen uh, Two Days, One Night, uh, or Still Alice, or Wild. So, based on that, I think Reese Witherspoon's been getting a lot of credit for Wild, and off the back of that, I went for that one. didn't think Felicity Jones was all that amazing, although she wasn't terrible in the theory of everything. Um, and Rosamund Pike was just mental in Gone Girl. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, though, because I don't think Eddie Redmayne was all that in the theory of everything either, but he's the one everyone seems to love, you know? Yeah. Uh, so who do you think will pick up uh, Best Actress, Owen? I think, even though I haven't seen Still Alice, and we won't be able to see it until the Oscars have actually finished, because it's not out in cinemas here uh, until March, uh, Julianne Moore, I think, will win. Um Again, just because of the sort of buzz and the hype around her performance, and it just seems like an Oscar-y type of role, to be honest. Playing someone with Alzheimer's and the effect it has on a family, etc., etc. Um, yeah. Paul, who do you think will take this one home? I, I think this one again is locked in. Julianne Moore, you know, a, a no-brainer. Um, I, I do want to touch on Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. I feel, in fact, I've seen all of these, apart from, funnily enough, Still Alice, but Two Days, One Night, just bizarre. A film based around this concept where your co-workers can either, can vote on you getting the sack, and in that, and if that happens, they get a bonus. Funnily <laughs> enough, they vote, she gets the sack. And then she goes on this crazy trail of going to see all the people who voted for her to get the sack to try and convince them otherwise. It was kind of like the story from a carry-on film. <laughs> but it was this French kitchen sink drama. It was utterly, utterly bizarre. But Julianne Moore definitely deserves it, not just for Still Alice, but I'll come on to later in the recommendations for another film she's done this or last year. Mm. And Matt? Um... I have to be brutally honest that I've only actually managed to see one of the films that are related to the Best Actress nomination, so I have to go with that one on its own merit. And it's easier because I actually really enjoyed the movie and the performance, so by default I've gone for Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, who was absolutely, fantastically uncomfortable, unnerving performance by her crazy, crazy-ass bitch. Okay. Um... Next category we've got listed down is uh, Best Supporting Actor. Up for that is uh, Robert Duvall for The Judge, Ethan Hawke for Boyhood, Edward Norton for Birdman, Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher, and J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. I couldn't see that going to anyone else other than J.K. Simmons. No, it is, I mean, again, we've talked about a couple of these as being nailed on. That one is. I, I sincerely hope so. Um, you know, it's a strong category, though, actually. Uh, Ed Norton and Mark Ruffalo were both very good, but J.K. Simmons is on just a different level to them in Whiplash. It's a done deal. Yeah, absolutely. Are you going to disagree with them there, Matt? Um, yes, 
purely because <laughs> I'm a fan of Mark Ruffalo in general. And I think he is overdue a bit more love in the mainstream uh, awards circles. So I'm going to take a punt on him again, just to be a little bit different, and because I'm a big fan. Okay. I mean, he was the best thing in Foxcatcher. Let's be honest, Mark Ruffalo. He outperformed both um, Tatum and uh, Carell, but he's not being talked about as much because it's not as surprising mm. to see Mark Ruffalo. Well, there's usually that. a bunch of dead certs in the Oscars in general in the, in the major categories, and there's always going to be one or two dark horses that slip through unexpectedly, and maybe, mm. just maybe, this could be as one. Well, you can have 100 to 1 if you fancy a little flutter. <laughs> I'll, I'll put 50p on it each way. You've, you've got a problem, Paul. I'm serious. You need to see someone. <laughs> hey, uh, are you an affiliate <laughs> for a bookmaker or something? <laughs> I, I, just, I was looking at the odds earlier and I printed them out. Uh, okay. ah. A new level of preparation on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to kind of get, you know, just to see some of the ridiculous odds that some of these films are at. Hmm. Uh, we've then on to Best Supporting Actress, uh, Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, Laura Dern for Wild, Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, Emma Stone for Birdman, um, Meryl Streep for Into the Woods. Uh, uh, I can lead off on this one if you like. Again, yeah. Patricia Arquette for, for Boyhood seems completely and utterly nailed on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're, we're in agreement about both those last two categories. So I think Patricia Arquette is um, going to get it. I think she's going to get the award. They're both 1 to 10 on. Matt, are you going to be difficult again? Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go against the, the trend of 1 to 10 on dead cert bets. I'm going to take a, a stab at, at Meryl Streep, no pun intended. Um, purely because the Oscars love happy, happy, joy, joy, singy type, epic acting performances, so given the outstanding career that Meryl Streep has had, uh, we can find a little bit of love for her here, just as an outside shot. Uh, it's not even her best performance as a Wicked Witch. <laughs> well, you're the expert. Uh, Joe, I, I'm, I'm having a quid on this, so I'm going to do a Ruffalo Streep double, one pound, which will return you like ten grand. <laughs> there you go. I'm all about getting rich easily. Uh, number seven in our list uh, best Original Screenplay, Birdman, uh, Boyhood, Foxcatcher, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Nightcrawler. Uh, I went with uh, Birdman for this one. Uh, yeah, I'll go for the same. because, But that's more in hope than any real kind of expectation. Uh, Matt, which are you predicting for? Uh, I'm going to champion Nightcrawler on this one purely because I think I marked it out as my second favourite film of 2014 but that was probably only because I'd uh, seen it very recently before the awards so I tried to sort of mark it accordingly and, and give something else a little bit of a, of a chance and just in case I was going on uh, the passion of having just seen it at the time but what a, an outstanding movie it was something completely different and something that took, I think, most of us by surprise, to be fair, uh, which has added to the impact that it's had on, on its audience. So it's a film I really, really love. Uh, I would be delighted to see it get some sort of recognition from the Academy. Uh, chances are it probably won't, but I'm going to stick with that anyway. I think it's the only sort of semi-major category that it's been nominated for as well, which, and it would be 
brilliant if it just picked up. Yeah. It's a travesty it hasn't been nominated for more things, whether it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal or mm. the cool soundtrack, the cinematography was excellent. So there's there's plenty of chances where it should have gotten more affection than it has done. Uh, hopefully yeah. it can swing, swing a small miracle on that one. Um, I'm totally with Matt. I mean, you know, I love Nightcrawler. It was really unnerving, unsettling. You know, just a real surprise came out of nowhere. Gyllenhaal's amazing. And it's going to get a bit bigger shafting than anything on Fifty Shades of Grey. In- <laughs> um, and the, the twee, quirky nonsense that was the Grand Budapest is probably going to pick that one up. <laughs> Uh, you weren't a fan of Grand Budapest Hotel? No. Oh. Okay. okay. Uh, next on our list is the Best Adapted Screenplay category. Uh, up for that is American Sniper, The Imitation Game, Inherent Vice, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Uh, Owen, which do you think will take that one home? Uh, I think... I mean, I don't think The Theory of Everything will get Best Picture. I honestly don't. But it could win Best Adapted Screenplay because the story is very uh, oscar baity. And Paul? Uh, I mean, I'd love to see... It's a, I mean, for, I can put you out your misery there, Owen. It's a two-horse race according to the odds, but I'd love to see it go to Whiplash. I really, really would, because mm. I thought that was you know, really, really great. But I think the imitation game's going to nick it. OK, mm. and Matt? Yeah, pretty much word for word uh, what Owen said on on the fear of everything. It's absolute Oscar fodder. So uh, I'm going to go for that one. Okay. Uh, next up is best animated feature film, and up for that is Big Hero Six, The Box Trolls, House Trainer Dragon Two, Song of the Sea, and The Tales of Princess Kaguya. I went with Big Hero Six with this one. Um, I've only seen one of these and uh, I really really enjoyed it as I enjoyed the first one and that's How to Train Your Dragon 2 and I think that's nailed on yeah we we had Callum on the podcast was it last week or the week before talking about um, the Annies the official like animated feature film awards and uh, he's, How to Train Your How to Train Your Dragon 2 won the Annie which basically is a lead into the Oscars which makes it sort of almost a certainty so I've gone for the same as well, How to Train Dragon 2. And uh, Matt? Yeah, not seen any of these. Not a big fan of, of animated features uh, of the last few years, to be honest. So given that I'm a, a fan of, of Japanese animation in general, I've gone for Tale of Princess Kaguya. Okay. Yeah. Just two awards left now for us to uh, pick our way through. Number 10 uh, is... Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, up for that is Ida, Leviathan, Tangerines, Timbuktu, and Wild Tales. I'm going to be honest, I had no clue on any of these. I took a stab <laughs> in the dark, went for Leviathan, because I've heard other people on this podcast talk good things about it. Um, Owen, how many of these have you seen, and which one are you going for? Uh, actually, I've seen none. I, I almost paid to watch... Ida, or was it Ida? I don't know how he pronounced it. It's a Polish film. And then I didn't at the last minute. I almost paid, and then I thought, nah, I can't be bothered with it. Um, but I really think it's probably going to win, because, again, just the, the buzz I've heard about it. The Viathan, I've also heard a lot of buzz about, but seems a bit too obvious 
to go for? Matt, are you going to go for the obvious one or are you going to... <laughs> I like going obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it's stuff I've not seen. But uh, I recall a few mentions of Leviathan getting some uh, good things said on the podcast and it's a cool name. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with that one. Okay. Paul, which one are you going for? Are you picking the one with the coolest name? Uh, bizarrely, I've actually seen three of these, um, and I nearly wow. saw the Tangerines ones, which I think was an Estonian film about a war veteran who grows tangerines. Um, didn't sound very interesting. Leviathan, it was so depressing. It was just <laughs> grim, and I would not ever want to watch it again, even though it was good. Wild Tales, as a while ago, I don't really remember an awful lot about it. But um, Ida, now if you like a nice 4-3 aspect ratio, black and white, Polish drama about nuns. Nailed on. That's the one that's <laughs> going to win. Okay. Seems right up my street then. <laughs> it was awful. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's awful, but it's going to win. Yes. Yeah. Finally, then, uh, best documentary feature: uh, Citizen Four, Finding Vivian Mayer, Last Days in Vietnam, The Salt of the Earth, and Virunga. Um, Owen, which one do you think is going to be the best documentary? This is tough because I haven't seen any of them. I thought this year I'd seen loads. I thought, oh, brilliant. I've seen loads and loads of documentaries. They're going to be loads of them that are nominated at the end of the year, and I'll be able to talk a little bit about them. And actually, none of the documentaries I've seen are in that list, which is annoying, because Storyville, I thought, had been brilliant. None of them are out, Owen. I've not been able to see any of them either. And they're not out, is that why? No, I've, you, you know the do- documentaries in my bag, and I've not seen... Apart from, I think, Citizen Four, you could at a push see, but the rest of them, no, none of them. Uh, uh, the next goal wins wasn't even nominated. <laughs> yeah, bet you gutted. I am. The amount of plugging I did for that, I even interviewed <laughs> an international goalkeeper for that one. And, and, and the co-director. Two exactly. interviews for that. Yeah. Two interviews and they got and they got me from the website and no one else. It we was... even gave away DVDs to try and yeah. get people to watch it. Yeah. It was sterling work, to be fair, Steve. You should yeah. have got an Oscar for that. Yeah, <laughs> I still want the DVD off of James that he, he won. In inverted oh, did he win one? He did win one. He wasn't officially working for the website at the time, so he was eligible to enter the competition. So he Funny. he was one of the few people that entered as well. Oh, I'm sure I entered that. Talk to talk to <laughs> Owen. He was in charge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> You're passing the book. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, who do we think is going to win uh, best documentary? I am not sure at all about this one, so I've just gone for one that's got a foreign-sounding name, Virunga. I also went for Virunga because I have do remember hearing something about it that I vaguely remember being good. Um, Is it about a chimpanzee enclave or something, or monkey? Something to do with wildlife preservation, I think. Absolutely no idea on this one. Uh, Matt? Just went for Virunga again. We're just taking a, a blind stab at this one. Um, not seen any. Um, I do try and watch a lot of documentaries, but when we're getting into foreign territory, that is entering murky waters for me. So Virunga as a complete and utter look box choice. Okay, and Paul, what did the book uh, say? The, well, the same as I've gone for, Citizen Four. It's, it's issue it's Edward Snowden. They love a bit of politics. I think that's going to nail it, yeah. Okay, well that is our uh, Oscar picks done, so we'll be uh, back when it's uh, all said and done with the the winner out of the four of us, I suppose. 
Um, if you want to make your predictions, you can you can tweet us. Um, or how could they do it any other way? Owen, can they comment at the bottom of um, the the podcast when it's on yeah, the website the, and the website page for this podcast that you could that you presumably have looked at to download from or. You know, if you go to failcritics.com, it'll just be one of the top articles there. Just comment at the bottom if you want. You can leave. You don't have to vote in all categories. It'd be great if you did. Um, I'll put a list up of which categories we voted in in the sort of blurb for the podcast. Um, But yeah, just leave your votes in the comment section. We can try and find some prize. I don't know what it'll be. It'll be the same as last year. uh, yeah, it'll be a box set of um, Stallone films. I'm moving out soon and can probably find some old DVDs I don't want. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I tell you what, I mean, we'll have a booby prize as well. I mean, from right here I can see of duplicates of that I've got. Uh, there's Star Wars on DVD and Season 4 of Lost, so... Wow, the, the, that is amazing. Someone could win season four of Lost on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. What, what about the Emmanuel ones? Are they... Uh... <laughs> they're, they're mine. <laughs> I won't give them up for love nor money. Uh, anyway, that's all for part one. In part two, we have got what we've been watching. Time then for what we've been watching, where we take a look at films we've seen in the last week or so that aren't necessarily new releases. Owen, why don't you start us off uh, with what you've seen? Okay. Um, it's quite topical this week, actually, the, the film I'm going to talk about. Um, because uh, have you heard about this Mars One project? Yes. Been in the news? Yes. Okay. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the, the Mars One project is, um, there's a clip here I've got from UK News on the on the Yahoo website. There's five Britons that have been shortlisted for the controversial project, which aims to establish a settlement on the Red Planet. Um, it is expected to cost six billion and will be filmed for a reality television series. So basically, they're sending some stupid people into space, putting them on Mars by the year 2024, and leaving them there and just filming it well, all. They don't seem to be, from their, their qualifications, they don't seem to be stupid people. I mean, you might think they're stupid well. signing up to this, but they don't seem to be, like, idiots academically. No, they're not, they haven't picked, like, Chantel from Big Brother and whatever else to go into space. They've, they've picked, like, there's, the guy who I heard on the radio recently was from Oxford University talking about it. And, yeah, OK, fine, he seems well-educated, but he also... I don't know. Is it anyway? Regardless of their in, actual intelligence, I think personally they're pretty, pretty stupid to decide to go on a mission where they know they're just going to die. And the experts are saying that within like a few months in space they'll just die anyway. Well, so, I mean, okay, so they're not seen interstellar. <laughs> provided, yeah. provided they can actually get to Mars, are they stupid? I mean, it's quite a big thing to be one of the first humans onto another planet. That's not going to happen, though, is it? I would not be surprised if it turned out to be a massive hoax. Well, they've got nothing to lose, then, have they, really? Well, put it this way. I saw one of the the, the passengers, or potential passengers, being interviewed on, on the news just before we came on to, the, to record this tonight, and the guy was like, oh, if I could go out there and represent the human race and be the first person to start a new civilization in space, why would I ever want to come back? I was like, 
you don't want to come back because you can't get a bird, I can tell just by looking at you. <laughs> oh, well, isn't, isn't, the, isn't the British shortlist one guy and four birds? Oh, I don't know. What's the quote? You, you'll know this, Paul. What's the quote from Clerks 2 with Jay? It says he wants to be the first oh, man to go into outer space. And fuck a Martian. Yeah, basically. That's, that sounds like your guy, Matt, from the news. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but anyway, the reason that I bring it up, as I say, kind of makes it topical. Um, I watched a film called Virtuality on uh, UK Netflix. It's directed by Peter Berg, who did Welcome to the Jungle with The Rock and Sean William Scott, which I thought was an all right film. Uh, he also did Hancock and Battleship and uh, Lone Survivor last year or the year before. He's, he's um, got pedigree then. Exactly, yeah, it's quality, isn't it? Um, it was also written by two guys, Michael Taylor and Ronald D. Moore, who I don't really know a lot of their work, but they'll be famous to sort of other sci-fi geeks because they work together on uh, Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek and loads of other sort of sci-fi TV shows. Um, but Virtuality is actually a TV movie as well, by the way, something I didn't realise until after the film had finished, and then it started to all make sense because of how low the production values were. Um, but anyway, it's about a crew of 12 people on a spaceship, uh, which is captained by Nikolai Costa-Waldo, I think that's how you pronounce his name, otherwise known as Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Um, and they're on an exploratory 10-year mission to another solar system. But um, this is why it links to the Mars One project. Everything they do is filmed and beamed back to Earth in the form of a reality TV show. Uh, anyway, at one point during the mission, they learn about something that jeopardises the whole uh, project, meaning they face deciding either to carry on and risk it, or do they turn around and head home. However, they do receive videos from Earth and learn that back home, things are going to utter shit. Uh, also, however, anyway, the film is called Virtuality, because on their spaceship, they have a virtual reality machine that they can use to keep themselves sane and stuff. Um, but that's gone a bit doolally, and there's a character who is in the program, who wasn't put there by anyone on the crew, um, and their onboard AI version of Hal can't explain where he's appeared from, and he's breaking the programming and killing people in their sort of virtual, or otherwise harming them, in their sort of virtual uh, reality systems. So, if it seems like there's a ton of like different ideas in there that are all kind of interesting in their own interesting in their own little way then yeah they, they are but when they're put together in a film like this with so many characters that get so little screen time and it's kind of got a relatively short runtime of about 87 minutes it's just really convoluted and there's so many like different concepts that could intertwine intertwine such as like um the role that the the ship psychologist has who's played by james darcy um He's uh, also the producer for the reality TV show. So there's kind of something there with his character, which is just really flimsy at best. Um, and it's also kind of alludes, it alludes to whether or not the trouble back home that they're learning about is actually real or whether it's staged as part of the show. But then it's kind of just mentioned, contemplated for a little bit and then swiftly forgotten about as they just get back to this existential virtual reality crisis that they're having. Um, which actually, by the way, is the weakest aspect of the story. And I mean, I mean, it did start off really well. I wouldn't have watched it to the end if it was as bad as it was by the time it finished. But it started off really well. And it introduces these ideas quite well. And the, these different, um, like, interconnected, overlapping concepts. that They're all really interesting. 
to begin with, but then they never really fully develop them, and then by the time it closes them off, it just... I mean, it just doesn't stop introducing new ideas and doesn't finish any of the ones that it, it, it tries to tempt you with. And, uh, I mean, it would have been much better if they ditched at least half of the characters, if they didn't bother with trying to, you know, enticing you about what's going on back home, if that was just left out completely, and just committed to this overarching story about the virtual reality machine, it would have been better. Instead, it felt like a really shallow... Uh, despite some clever little strands that run through, a really shallow film with not too much going on, um, despite having so much happening at the same time, and not enough time spent on, well, anything really. Um, but it was well directed, I guess. It looked quite good in the way that most films that are set in space do. There's lots of lens flare, it's bright on natural light and all that. It's just a shame that the overall quality of the movie was so disappointing. Sounds like there might have been some what I refer to now as stunt casting going on there. It used to be if you had a limited budget and you were going to do a sort of straight-to-video TV movie, you'd get someone from The Wire. Mm. And uh, now it's, let's get someone from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think this was pre-Game of Thrones. So this was released uh, 2008. Oh, okay. So it was, it's a couple of years old But do you, do you not think that's the thing? Have you not noticed at the moment? Oh, yeah, it, definitely. All the time. It's like, oh. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's not new, is it? Okay. Um, yes, so, Paul, what have you seen this week? Well, I, not a lot, really, but I did watch or rewatch. watch um, I Saw the Devil um, for for the website, in fact. You're doing a, a, a decades of film. Um, we are, yeah. Yeah, and this is I picked this for the best film of um, 2010. Um, which I was fortunate enough to see first time around at the London Korean Film Festival, um, where the uh, director was there, um, Kim Ji Woon, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was it's, it's yeah brutal um, Korean revenge, which is a kind of a, a genre unto itself now. With, with there's so many <laughs> entries into this um, kind of sector, but this was a, a strange one. I mean, Kim Ji Woon is not kind of dipped into this pool before you've got Choi Min Sik from Old Boy and you've got Lee Byung Hung from um, Bit of Sweet Life and uh, uh, or G.I. Joe if you don't watch Korean films <laughs> he's also going to be in the new Terminator film oh he is yeah. yeah uh, it's have you all seen it I have I bloody love I Saw the Devil. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I think I might check it out based on what you just said. It sounds pretty cool. It it kind of takes the the whole kind of revenge genre and just cranks it up and up and up. And (laughs) I'm a big kind of um, fan of of Korean cinema, and I love all the the kind of the melodrama, the completely ridiculous... um, The police are always portrayed as Keystone Cops. You have these mad tonal shifts where the movie's all over the place, but somehow they all work. And Kim Ji-Woon, it looks amazing. It just looks beautiful, this film. And it's juxtaposed by this horrendous violence. Just horrendous. And, um, yeah, no, I... You know, for me, as as I've mentioned in the review, I mean, Kim Ji-Woon, probably one of the you know the best directors working today from you, you go back to you know his 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 kind of first effort the quiet family which is uh, brilliant like a murderous 40 towers mm. you go through to a bittersweet life which is a just an amazing gangster film the good the bad the weird which is 
an amazing western uh, through to I Saw the Devil and then his last film which had Arnie in it The Last Stand <laughs> so yeah if you haven't seen it I genuinely I can't recommend it enough but it really isn't for the faint hearted it really isn't how does it stand up against something that more people would have seen like Old Boy Choi Min Sik is the, it's the same lead actor um, mm-hmm. which was clearly deliberate because it, it kind of takes the tropes and themes from Old Boy and in a way just ramps them off the scale where typically in a revenge film you, you, you kind of, I don't want to spoil it too much but you, you, you know, you're going after the guy to get your vengeance in this, it, he, he gets him pretty early on mm. and then you're thinking, well hang on, what happens next? And then it's like, oh... Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, ah, no, uh, and yeah, that, so yeah. yeah. I think me, I'd compare I prefer, it. Yeah, I prefer it to Old Boy. Yeah, I. Well, I. I don't know. They'd make a fantastic double bill, actually. I saw the Devil and Old Boy. I think it kind of fits somewhere between Old Boy and something like The Chaser, which is another popular Korean film where you you've got good guys and bad guys, but it's not as black and white as that. No, you know, it's very. Um, I wasn't say grey areas, but it's more like red areas from the amount of blood <laughs> that's all over it. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely taxi, brutal as well. The taxi scene is just... There's, the, there's so many scenes like that, though. The taxi scene, there's um, the scene where he first... where Kim Ji-Win's character first catches up to Choi Min-sik as well, oh. which is... They're just brutal, absolutely, yeah, utterly Normally, brutal. when you see people being hit with objects... You don't actually see the object hit; you'll just hear the noise. Mm, mm. See, you know, but in this, you all the impacts are there. Every living whack, stone mm. over the head, knife in them, everything is is completely visceral and just yeah, it's it's really really, a, it's a blast though. It's not as grim as it sounds. Its tongue is firmly mm. in its cheek. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and Matt, what have you seen? Um, I've had a couple of uh, golden oldies to kill some time in the last few days. Um, Sky had put all the Die Hard collection onto their on-demand service over the weekend. So there's only one I'm going to watch, which was the first one, of course. Our favourite Christmas movie of all time. So Die Hard, of course, the one we've all seen, starring Bruce Willis and, and Alan Rickman, predominantly uh, featuring the cop who's just trying to get home to see his little girl and wife at Christmas, but get gets caught up in an international terrorist incident uh, or master fevery incident, if you want to be more specific. Um, I'm delighted to say I haven't actually seen Die Hard for, for a while, uh, so I was a little bit apprehensive about going back to it as I tend to overanalyze things a little bit when I go back to a, a, an old classic. Uh, but I'm glad to say it, it holds up tremendously well it's still as entertaining and over the top and silly with the action as i remember it being all the dialogue still really snappy and excellent bruce willis is fantastic in it it's still a five out of five action movie i'm glad to say so i really enjoyed revisiting that um the second one i watched um just a little something to get me through a slow sunday afternoon i watched uh, enter the dragon which i also picked up on scale and demand um, again, one that I've not seen for years, and I was a massive fan of Enter the Dragon as a kid, and I, I love Bruce Lee movies. Mm. Um, doesn't hold up quite as well as I remember. It's still entertaining, um, but the fight sequences aren't quite as impressive as I used to remember. Perhaps because we've seen, or been spoiled for choice with so many 
modern martial arts movies from your on backs to the raid type movies or even 80s golden harvest stuff like your, your jackie chan and yun bure type films perhaps supersede this slightly but where enter the dragon succeeds is the cool factor it's such a cool movie mm. um because you know you're watching the greatest martial artist of all time at the peak of his powers and everything's just so massively impressive with him whether it's from his uh, philosophy to the actual physical action in the movies it's still very uh, impressive to a degree and uh, yeah it's still a good film and it's certainly one of the most important martial arts movies of all time if not the most important martial arts movie of all time I know, and you did a, a pretty cool retrospective on, on Bruce Lee quite recently where you, you touched on Enter the Dragon. I did, yeah. Because you're right, I mean, it was it was really important. It was the first um, martial arts or kung fu film to be produced by an American... Um, well, it's co-produced, I think. Warner Brothers and Golden Harvest co-produced it. Um, and it had a massive budget for for the type of film it was, $850,000, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but in 1973, for this film about, um, you know, fighters from all around the world, it's basically an exploitation film with a huge budget and is really, really good. I mean, you, you, as well, you touched upon how um, the action sequences don't really hold up as well these days, but I think it's because... It was. It's a different type of film to yeah. what like Ong Bak is, or mm-hmm. um, or even the, the 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 Jackie Chan films from like the eighties, like Police Story or uh, Project Day or anything like that, because they're more. There's different influences there. I mean, at the end of the Dragon uh, influences mainly come from Bruce Lee and his philosophies that he wanted to impart on the film and on the Western audience that he. That was his goal, ultimately. It's why he halted production on Game of Death to go and do Enter the Dragon, because he wanted to be the the, the man who, who made these credible, well-respected uh, martial arts movies and that had something to say, other than just, you've got the big bad guy in an island and he wants to bring loads of international fighters together till they kill each other, kind yeah. of thing, you know. Um, oh, I agree. Yeah, no, Enter the Dragon couldn't possibly work without Bruce Lee. Any yeah. other it, martial artist getting the top billing there, just and it couldn't work succeed. without it couldn't work without the, the support cast either, because it it would part of its success as well was um, bringing together people for like um, you know the, the characters in it whose names are escaping me. So you got, is it John Saxon as and Jim Saxon's Kelly and John Saxon? Yeah, yeah they're both it. brilliant in it. Who are both brilliant, and then you've got Sammo Hung and Bolo Young, and they're all making their sort of. Um, big western screen debuts in a way even if they're playing minor characters and it's just yeah i really i still really love enter the dragon i think it's fantastic okay um i think that brings an end to what we've been watching then up next we have got the new release section of the podcast uh where we're reviewing everything from predestination to 50 shades of gray Time then to get stuck into a few new releases and are out or coming out in the UK shortly. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off with the new Will Smith film, Focus? 
Yeah, okay. Um, so Focus is written and directed by uh, John Requa and Glenn Ficara. I think that's how you pronounce the names. It is now. Uh, it is. That's it. It's, it's in. That's it. It's going to be that from now on. They work together on Crazy Stupid Love and I Love You, Philip Morris. Uh, two films I've not seen before and hopefully will never see. Um, stars 46-year-old Will Smith. Just let that sink in for a second. Will Smith is 46 years old. Uh, he plays Nicky, also known as Mello, a professional con man from a family of con men, actually. Um, and after a 24-year-old Margot Robbie tries to pull a con on him and fails, she eventually convinces him to sort of take her under his wing. And they start pulling a load of small cons together uh, and sort of they get quite a bit of money out of it. And there's a bit of romance between the two of them and they go off on the run and pull some more jobs and then stuff happens and blah de blah de blah blah You've probably seen a dozen con movies before that are exactly the same. It's no different to any other standard outline for any other con film. Um, so firstly, the good things, I guess, because there aren't too many of them. Will Smith was pretty good, although he was basically being Will Smith. Um, I actually thought Margot Robbie was a lot better, but had a weaker character. Can I, did, did he sing the theme tune? He, no, there's no, no theme tune for him oh. to sing. No. Uh, which is very disappointing, isn't it? I mean, what's the point in having <laughs> Will Smith? Why would you have Will Smith if you can't get to sing the theme tune? Exactly, exactly. But he didn't, unfortunately. Um, and like I say, Margot Robbie was good. She, in fact, her scenes with um, a guy called Adrian Martinez, who's sort of like Will Smith's mate, who appears in a lot of films with Will Smith, but you never really know who he is. He's in this. Um, he was good. And his scenes with Margot Robbie were the most kind of natural and genuinely like funny bits in the entire film. The, the thing is, the, the con jobs as well that they pull were actually the best bit of the film. The way it builds them up is great. It teases you with um, these things about people being addicted to to gambling. You've got Will Smith's characters possibly uh, he can't really resist gambling away his fortune on horses and stuff. And then there's sort of twists about what's happening. And you know, and when I say it's a, it's a, it's a it is a badly written story and it's very very predictable and cliched and completely unoriginal. It, it's one of those films where you can look at it. You can look at the trailer, you can see the advert on TV, you can even just read the, the name and see the picture on a bus and know exactly how it's going to play out. Absolutely everything. You know exactly how it's going to end with, you know, oh, who's conning who? Mm, isn't that like a twist that you didn't see coming? And it, it's not far off that. Whatever you imagine is not far off. It is so, so predictable. But... It is kind of slickly directed. It looks good in places, and there are times when it tries, tries to be super serious, like the appalling sex scenes. That I, when they happen, I thought they were jokes because there's a reference made earlier on in the film that um, Margot Robbie can't, she can't play men. She's she's crap at being sexy. Um, but they weren't jokes. They were actually meant to be taken seriously. And I was just looking around and people were laughing because it looks like it's going to be a joke. And it's like, oh, no, wait, actually, this is carrying on a bit too long to be a gag. It's an actual... Right, OK. Well, yeah, this is pretty dreadful. So, yes, it's painfully obvious what the plot twists are going to be. 
but it's hard to hate it as well at the same time. I think if you stop trying to second guess it, which is very difficult because you automatically go into that mode with a type of film like this, and just let it play out on the screen. It's got a few redeeming qualities in there. It's just... I've described it elsewhere as this. It's just this year's dumb but flashy, light-hearted thriller. It's like Now You See Me, if you watch that with um, Jesse Eisenberg. It's it's like that. It's fine if there's nothing else on and you've got a burning desire to munch through some popcorn, but it's not really a particularly special film. How does it stack up against like American Hustle? for the? Because for, I do like con man movies, but... Yeah. So, I mean, American Hustle tried to be a bit classy and it tried to have um, some kind of interest in there and it was playing on the characters. This is the rom-com equivalent of a con film without being a rom-com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next film we'll be reviewing then is uh, Predestination, a time travel caper starring Ethan Hawke. in the central role he plays a um time traveling cop uh, or works for a time traveling agency that go back in time to stop crimes before they happen um well this sounds familiar <laughs> time <laughs> cop minority report hello <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no it goes back in time further than minority report this is proper time traveling this is this is yeah Did they time traveling minority report well, no, no, just... no, they stopped crimes before they happened, but they didn't yeah. time Yeah, but then Time Cop, he went back in time to stop He did, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yes. Um, in in terms of time travel films, it's easier to understand than Primer, but more difficult <laughs> to understand than Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's, there's, there's a lot going on in the film. Um, it, it, it's good, but not great, I'd say. It's certainly not great, but it, it certainly keeps you keeps hold of you for um, the, the duration of the film with the twists in the plot and the performances yeah. as well. Um, there are a fair few twists, some of them obvious, some of them not so obvious. Um, and there's also quite a few time travel paradoxes to get your head around as well and, and kind of work out how all that kind of stuff works. Mm. It's, I think... It, um... It is kind of predictable, um, but also I quite like the fact that there is a time travel sci-fi film like this that exists and can be made. You know, it hasn't got to be um, Primer, the super serious film about time travel. It hasn't got to be Back to the Future, which is a goofy comedy look at it. You can just have films like this made that are just trying to be entertaining and interesting and throw up a few new different concepts and stuff and despite having what i thought was a paper thin story for the most part it was quite quite good i kind of liked it and it's one of those more i thought about it after it finished i liked it more as time went on but you've seen this as well haven't you paul Did i, you, I, you I have what you thought? oh god <laughs> probably best two months more than two months on yeah. and it's probably not a good advert for it because two months on all I can remember is Ethan Hawke a girl who looked like a lesbian and lots of explosions yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's all you need in a film isn't it there you go <laughs> yeah. Sarah Snook I think her name there was. you go that's her but, um, I, yeah. I genuinely I, it was I, I think it was a Saturday night and I may have had a glass of wine so <laughs> you, this is one you need to watch Stone Cold 
I think what would be great as well, if you could watch it without watching the first two or three minutes, because there's something in the first two or three minutes, there's a massive clue for what happens in the story. Yeah. Probably don't remember that, Paul. But no, I it? don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> there's something that I saw in the first two or three minutes, I'm like, right, okay, so that means that the relationship between these two is... Mm. Okay. There's, there's another time travel film out this week, isn't there, called Project Almanac? Which, yeah, which looks like it could be good. Looks like it's filmed in the same kind of style as uh, Chronicle or Super Eight, um, which are both really good films. So, kind of looking forward to that one and seeing I how s- that. Works. I do like a time travel film. Mm. Me too. I saw the trailer. It did look good. Yeah. Mm. Um, so hopefully it'll kind of live up to expectations. But yeah, Predestination. It, I'd say it's worth a watch. Um, but I kind yeah. of wouldn't go out of your way to see it. There's basically a Red Dwarf episode that covers the the entire plot of this, which is slightly better. Yes, you (laughs) are quite right. I'm not going to say which one, but yeah. Uh, Anyway, on to the final new release that we're reviewing this week, and that is the woman's favourite, adapted from the novel Fifty Shades of Grey, which uh, Paul has been lucky enough to, (laughs) to view for us. Can, can we touch on Matt quickly? Who who did? No, you can't touch it. me. You did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want the the, the lowdown? Oh, oh yeah. Of my Valentine's Day fuck up. <laughs> okay, so to cut a long story short, um, typically booking in advance isn't a, a big deal on the Isle of Man, so. I'm being reasonably thoughtful. I'm like a week before Valentine's Day. I call up our favourite restaurant, try and get a table. No, fully booked, so try a different curry house there, fully booked. So I've left it too late for the meal. But it's no problem because I've already booked tickets for Fifty Shades of Grey and she's going to be happy with that. Get to Saturday night, last showing of the evening, 9.15. It's a, it's a massive sellout. We get there, the place is already busy, half an hour before it's due to start. I go to the, the desk to pick up my tickets. I'm sorry, sir, we don't seem to have a reservation of your name. And I'm like, you what? You what, mate? And I get into a big argument with the clerk. They're saying I must be there. I know what my seat numbers are. Um, Tell me what I have booked for then because you've definitely charged me. And if I go home and print off the confirmation email and I come back and someone in those seats, I'm kicking them out of your cinema. And that's just what I said to them word for word. Wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, went so, full on Liam Neeson. So I, you, can, you can just sense the desperation of a man who's fucked up Valentine's Day. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. So 15 minutes before it's due to start, I grab my very disappointed girlfriend. We dash home to try and... Um, find my confirmation email and then it suddenly dawns on me that I don't have one uh, and I don't have a charge on my account and I've somehow dreamed this whole thing up, <laughs> which is just really bizarre did, did you manage was, to did you manage to style it out though with your missus or did you have to own up no I, I had to own up and to be fair to her she she took it like a champ and didn't didn't grill me too hard for it but needless to say, on the one night of the year I should have been guaranteed to get some action, I did not get any. <laughs> so that was my Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey story, and I'm looking forward, honestly, to seeing it this Saturday instead. Luckily, yeah. luckily... You really aren't. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> luckily, I mean, my girlfriend didn't want to see Fifty Shades of Grey, so we went to Lyme Regis for the day, and it was lovely. Aww. 
So yeah. had some chips on the seafront and had a little wander around. Bought some fudge. Um, a finger of fudge. No. <laughs> did, you, did you did you pack this fudge yourself? <laughs> no, it was it was done efficiently by the staff in the shop. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Yeah. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did see Fifty Shades of Grey this week, and um, there was there was quite a lot of theatre involved in the in just 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 going to the cinema. Not not since the fat bloke took his top off during the Avengers. Have I, have I had quite such a, a, an eye-opening um, cinema-going experience? Um, my, I had a female colleague in the audience. Actually, hang on, she told hang me. On, hang on. Well, yeah, well, you can't hang move on. on from that. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the fat bloke took his top off in the event. I was trying to think through the film. I said, what a fat bloke taking his top off? There was a no fat bloke sat next to me. Yeah. Who obviously got quite warm. Yeah. <laughs> took his top off, was sat there bare-chested, Watching the Avengers, my me and my son next to him, uh, I turned and said to to him something that I, you know, I'm not proud of now. And um, 15 what, minutes what, later, what, what, hang on, what, which was? I, 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 I can't. And um, we libel celebrities regularly on this, so I mean, you can say <laughs> what you want about some some sweaty man that okay. we'll never see again. We need to go back. He'd been up. He'd been up to the toilet three times. He'd been throwing popcorn everywhere. Been talking to his mates. Been mumbling and groaning and talking. Then took his top off. And this is I said, "Get your fucking ass out of here! I'm going to fucking smack you in the face." And um, he left. That's, that's parenting 101, that isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I was just so. Do you know what I mean? I was just. Yeah. Oof, I just couldn't be dealing with it. Who takes their top off? <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> I'm oh, expecting a better story now for 50 Shades yeah. of Grey. So, so anyway, did he get up and fuck off? Or? Yeah, no, he left. Yeah, he never oh, saw right. him again. Oh, right. Blimey. What did his mates do? They just sat there quietly, funnily enough. <laughs> like, That's you and Matt going like full on Liam Neeson. For yeah, two it's just, I, I think I'd had a really bad run of seat kickers, talkers, and that just about topped it off. Yeah. However... I think that, that you've trumped Steve's story about chasing someone out of a kebab shop once. <laughs> I, that, that, that was me tackling racism. Um, you know, being vigilante, which which makes me more like Batman than any of the rest of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Anyway. Sorry, Paul. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. No, We've it's okay. You, like, no, no. Times. So... God. I've got so little to say about the film, so the, 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 the kind of the experience around it was was probably more interesting to, than the film itself. So sat down um, amongst ten forty to fifty year old women, who then proceeded to take selfies. <laughs> Even once the film had started, they were still taking selfies, <laughs> and I'm like, I just. I, Words failed me. I didn't care because I didn't want. To, you know, I wasn't really interested in seeing it anyway. Um, people were talking the whole time. It was like this cacophony of noise. The woman in front ha- had these little wine bottles. She kept pulling out of her bag and just sculling them. Wow! And all I can say is, <laughs> the what I learned that evening was that all of the women in Eastbourne don't have any hair downstairs because when they saw that Anastasia had had a lady garden they all made gagging noises 
in unison, collective, and I was like, oh, God. But the question on everyone's mind is, Paul, mm. did it smell like a fishmonger's in there? Oh, oh it was... I mean, the, the Sam Taylor-Johnson, the director, she hasn't had any work for six years. That doesn't, you know, that kind of doesn't bode well. Charlie Hunnan, bless him. We need to talk about who, who wasn't in this film. The best thing he ever did was pulling out of that. P- pardon the pun. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's the first pun. Okay, carry on. And he's, you know, he's rocked up in Guillermo del Tormo's Crimson Peak. And if you, when you do finally see this, <laughs> you'll realise why. It's just awful. Soft pornography. Terrible, terrible dialogue. I was under the impression that there was a, you know, th- this was quite frisky. I'd heard, you know, fisting and other kind of stuff going on. I was thinking, here we go. No, none of that. <laughs> have you have you got a quote from the book you mentioned, Owen? I've got a quote. You wanted to get some clarification on. Yes, because this is... I, I was just trying to do a bit of research. I know we we talked about how taboo that is earlier, but I, I just trying to do a bit of research, and I thought, I know what will be quite interesting. I'll get some Fifty Shades of Grey book quotes. Can you read it in a character's voice for us? Like, reenact it? <laughs> in a character's voice. I don't know what the characters are meant to say, like, but I'll give it a go. But this is, like, there's, there's some controversial scenes that were left out. I don't know was the f- if the fisting scene was one of them, or whether that's going to appear in a later film, because apparently there are sequels. Go on. Uh, but this is a controversial tampon scene. Whoa. No. Yeah. No. Which I believe didn't make it into the final cut. Mm. Although, if you do want to see that, you need to see the film Wetlands. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> you recommended that to me ages ago. I'm, I'm nervous about that one. Should I, don't I know run if I can. 350 grades really quickly? Okay. Boy. I tries to get in girls' pants. She's not having it. She's finally having it. Finds out he's into kinky stuff. She says, go on then. You think he's going to do all sorts of incredibly bad things to her, and he tickles her with a feather. The women in the audience all gush and go, somebody says the word anal fisting, the end. Wow. And and then the usher comes in with a mop and bucket. Uh. You think? That's what I was expecting. But trust me, this was borderline even being an 18. Yeah, I've heard that there's only like one or two scenes that possibly push towards being 18-ish. The only thing that happens of any note, I would guess, is that you know she gets hit on the bottom with a belt at one point, God and she's it. pre-warned this is going to happen, mm. and you don't see the marks. So, uh, do these women not have the internet? <laughs> um, you know, if you. I don't I'm want to name not any sites that may or may not exist, but I'm pretty sure if you went to RedTube that you may well find <laughs> significantly worse than you're ever going to see in Fifty Shades. It, it, honestly, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure with the internet being as, as extensive as what it is, there is a website that is like made for, for what you might call women's porn. So it's not like this, you know... Xhamster.com this is what we've come to. <laughs> oh, the thing is, you don't actually, you only, you see her bits all the time. But you see, and, I, and I, I, you know, I'm not good at judging distances and sizes, but I think one quarter of one inch of the top, not the tip, the top of his old fella. And that's it. That's not surprising, really. I mean, um, it, I'm going to sound like a bit of a bully liberal 
Go on. For a second. But honestly, it really doesn't surprise me because it's still bizarrely taboo to show any sort of male nudity. Sure. And compared to the stuff they try, it's an adult film about, well, sex. It's about yeah. sex. It's about two people having sex. So why is it okay for it to be, you know, have lots of tits and arse in it and a bit of bush, apparently, but then just hardly anything from the bloke? I don't get it. I don't understand why that's any different. I, I don't get it. I mean, the, the BBFC are a, are a strange beast and, you know, that they, they object to anything that's, you know, violence and sex is a big no-no for them. You, you go down that road, hmm. you, you're going to be really, really struggling to get anything past them. So I, I kind of get it, but yeah, it was, it was, it was an insult to anyone who, you know, if you weren't there because you'd read the books, there hmm. really is genuinely nothing to see because it's long and it's really boring. So am I still not likely to score next weekend? Do you have a red room and some feathers? <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> well, I can always rip open a pillow. Well, I mean, that's, that's all for our new releases and pretty much all for for this week. Uh, all we've got left to do is recommend some films for you for the week ahead. I'm going with Netflix. New on Netflix UK is The Raid 2. Ooh, fantastic choice. Uh, Owen? On uh, BBC Two on Friday at five past eleven in the evening, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. And I've said enough about it recently, so you can look at either my AI and film article on the website, uh, listen to our AI special edition episode of the podcast, which Matt was on as well, um, which mm-hmm. we did a couple of weeks back. Or we've even got like a Stanley Kubrick Corridor of Praise podcast where we like rave about all of his films. Okay. So, um, Paul, what are you going to recommend for people? I'm going to go for one of those fangled Blu-ray disc things that, that, that people seem to like, which I've seen flogged to death on a 4OD, and that's Maps to the Stars. Um, Cronenberg, back mm. on form. This is the film that Julianne Moore <coughs> should have been getting the uh, nom for, and I can tell you, forget Fifty Shades, Maps to the Stars is filthy and absolutely brutal. Get it watched. Okay, and Matt. I'm going to go for a new Blu-ray release in the last week or so. Uh, season 4 of Game of Thrones just arrived in the post. And given that the Series 5 is going to be starting up in the next few weeks on Sky Atlantic, it's a good time to re-watch and try and remember all of those new characters that you didn't give a shit about in the last series. But it's still <laughs> the best show on TV. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go pick it up. Okay, excellent. Well, that's all for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Fail Critics Podcast. In the meantime, you can satisfy your need for us by going to www.failedcritics.com uh, or visiting our Twitter page at Failed Critics. trying all sorts <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel bad at that first segment because I had the odds all printed out <laughs> like, is that called preparation is that not allowed
That's yeah. It's not that it's not allowed. It's just not expected. Yeah. It's, it's as long as you know you're not getting paid, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's frowned upon. <laughs> it's, um, it's it's if you want a, a football football equivalent, it's like if you're it's the unwritten rule of throwing the ball back to the opponent if they put the ball out of play for an injury, but you decide just to play on instead. Right. Making notes is basically playing on instead when you should give it back. 